Welcome back to episode 95 of Warrior's Den. So this episode is a little bit different. My guest is Aaron Phillip. He was a university colleague when I went to university. We both went to Kwantlen Polytechnic University. He studied uh, criminology with a minor in political science, though he'd spent a lot of time with the Model UN. He is very political, though he is a lot more neutral than myself. Not as sort of aggressive and flamboyant and uh, inflammatory. Um, We decided to do this podcast after I posted on my Instagram story a video of our Prime Minister being heckled and chased out of uh, White Rock, British Columbia. Since then, uh, our Prime Minister has been heckled and chased out of multiple places during our current Canadian election campaign. And Aaron asked, hey, can we do a podcast? He actually is starting his own. So we'll see how his goes. I don't even know what it's called yet. But that's why this podcast will be a little bit different. Because it's a little bit of a mix of him interviewing me and us having a dialogue back and forth. Uh, It's sort of broken up into a few sections. The first is more like kind of get to know each other. And then we talk about Canadian politics. And then there is my essentially me ranting about government's policy, COVID-19, etc. I understand this is controversial for a lot of people, but I think from what I have been seeing, there is justice. So if a civilian does it, it's called misinformation. When the government and our media does it, it's called disinformation. It is misleading or incorrect information either way to achieve a certain goal. Um, I think that, uh, first, before I get forward, I will just put this here, a little bit of excerpt from Aaron to get to know him, to get an idea. So here it is. I think that there's a role that social media is playing in this, which shines a light on weaknesses in our democracy in a very unhelpful way. Um, So social media creates these easily manipulated narratives which allow us to inflate emotions and subvert um, dialogue and discussion like you and I are having right now. Because if you and I were talking and neither of us were listening to the other person, the discussion would have very little value. Okay. Uh, And of course, before I get into that more, real quick on this one, this podcast is brought to you by Urban Tactics, Krav Maga, Turning Lambs into Lions. Since 2013, you can check us out in person, urbantacticskm.com. You can check our blog or ideas and other stuff, utkmblog.com. You can also check us out on Instagram, urbantacticskramaga, Facebook, urbantacticskramaga also, and Twitter on urbantacticskm. Uh, so check us out and support us if I haven't aggravated you beyond belief. So the thing is with me, Critical thinking, critical thinking, critical thinking. Never do what you are told blindly, particularly when it comes to do with health. Um, health is supposed to be a dialogue between you and your doctor because one size does not fit all. And if you just follow people blindly, you could actually end up in some serious trouble. Now, I think there needs to be a discussion between the difference between an anti-vax and anti-vaccine passport. And the belief that everyone must do something or else is disturbing. 
Uh, no, the data does not support that everyone should possibly get the vaccine. I'm sorry it does not. It's consistently not showing that. Uh, along with data coming out of Israel showing the efficacy of these things is not what they thought it was. Um, which means if I believe, uh, if you're under a certain age, that it's very much a choice as far as whether you should do it or not. Uh, the data consistently shows it's the elderly and obese and those with uh, health issues that should probably definitely get the vaccine if they don't have any other options. However, I want to talk about that. So when I'm talking with Aaron, I, um, I'm going off the cuff, meaning I'm going from memory. As many of you know, I don't, I'm not one of those tedious person who wants to sit down and get tons and tons and tons of research links and all that sort of stuff. And I know it'd be helpful for a lot of you. A lot of my students are asking, where do you get your information from? I'm going to add a section on the blog of my recommended podcasts and books, etc. just haven't had time yet. So hopefully by the time you listen to this, it's on the blog somewhere. Probably it'll be a sub menu of John's recommendations or something. And I want to put it out there. Like I'm, I'm not getting my information from subreddit. People need to stop. I've been, you know, a long time ago in a debate about someone that they were crazy. Sorry. Uh, and nothing to do with COVID. Uh, it was to do with energy or something. I said, what are you, like a right-wing lunatic on Reddit? And I'm like, I don't even use Reddit. Where I get my information from are podcasts and long-form interviews, for the most part, uh, from experts, virologists, immunologists, etc., uh, doctors, uh, experts in their fields. I also read research papers from around the world, not just my own country, that is limiting certain data or misrepresenting certain data. So in university or in education, you are taught to look at information from a primary source, as in who did the research, what is the research, who are the experts? Listen to the experts because there is a game of broken telephone and politics going on where experts say something and politicians in the media twist it to become something else. Now, there's elements of truth in what the, the end message is, but it's not the same thing. End of story. And, and if you don't want to go do your own research or you don't want to look into things and you just want to listen to blindly, this is how we get mass hysteria. Um, now, uh, half this podcast, by the way, has nothing to do with COVID. It's about the Canadian election and politics. So, disclaimer, if you don't like politics or you don't want to hear a discussion about COVID-19, well, this isn't the podcast for you, or this isn't the episode uh, from you. And it's the idea that you have to be an expert to be able to read data, the idea that you have to be have a piece of paper behind your name or some letters that you can understand scientific literature is an absurdity. And is elitist, nonsense, garbage ideology. Now, if you generally don't understand, as I suggested at the end of the podcast, you need to find people in your life that you trust to be reasonably unbiased about stuff. And even if they can't convince you one way or other, okay, fine. It is what it is. Right? I generally think that vaccines are a wonderful tool. I think there's been a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to wait until you have all the data, and they still don't have all the data. Um, just, I think, and I talk about this, the people who are straight up anti-vax as a whole are a bit lunatical, just a bit nuts, but so are the people for COVID-19 saying everyone must get this or else, 
or else, particularly given the data coming out of Israel, the Petri dish of testing for Pfizer, which is a bit disturbing, but okay, um, that these vaccines do not have the kind of long-term protection that we thought they were. And I'm sorry if this means you have to take four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten shots, which we don't know yet. Um, they're kind of a failure. I mean, they, they've done their job at reducing uh, death for those who are at risk. Not eliminating, reducing. But they're not the Hail Mary that they were promised. They are not what governments and scientists promised. But they are just a Band-Aid or an option for those who didn't have any other options. Um, but that brings up the discussion of ivermectin. Now, uh, I covered it decently, but I've made a few errors. Now, before, if you don't want to listen to me, what I suggest you do is you go to the Lex Friedman podcast, episode 216. He has Vincent uh, Rasignalo. Sorry if I mispronounced your name. He the, titled Viruses and Vaccines. Now, Lex Friedman is MIT uh, AI scientist. He's a brilliant human being. He also has a healthy distrust of governments because he's Russian. So anyways, Vincent is a virologist, immunologist, microbiologist at Columbia University. He's a co-author of the textbook Principles of Virology and co-host of Virology Podcast. So this is the definition of an expert, okay? Now, he, him and Lex are saying, hey, they agree the vaccine, people should take the vaccine, but no one should be forced to take it. It doesn't make sense. However, if you're listening to their, their discussion about that, the discussion about that, the, the risk-reward calculation they're making seems to be heavily based on long COVID. So without long COVID, it very much seems like the need for everyone to get the vaccine outright is silly. With long COVID, there are some questions. Now, <clears throat> I was reading some papers the other day apologize i forgot to list them down but i'm sure we'll see more of this stuff that suggested long covid is not what we thought it was might not be permanent and might not be specific to covid itself but we will see now if that factor becomes truth over time then it means the risk reward calculation that they're making that everyone needs to get vaccinated end of story is no longer valid so that's things about science is that they said at the damn start, we need time. Science takes time. This is absolutely true. This will continue to be true. And just because governments need policies now and governments need advice to give the public now does not mean that it is correct or going to be right. And coercion is certainly never right. Trust me, if bodies are dropping on the floor, on the street, all over the place for any virus or any problem, we will have an issue. People will just take the vaccine without question because then the risk versus reward calculation is different. <clears throat> now, one thing, I, I'm, one of my messaging is uh, governments are misleading the public because they just want everyone to do something because their systems aren't doing so well. Now, in America, it's considerably less of a problem um, because they have their private health care system. I'm not getting into that debate on this podcast, um, but it's largely politicized more than anything. In Canada... I think we have a failing healthcare system. You know, I talked to a nurse the other day, and they basically said even before the pandemic, nurses are walking away. They're understaffed. Hospitals don't have enough doctors. They don't have. And now nurses are, from my understanding, talking to many nurses, uh, nurses are walking away from either fear of the virus or 
exhaustion or just being tired or they have lost faith in the medical system. So we have a system crisis in Canada and that is why people like the governments are panicking so badly, not because it's for the general health and wellness of the public, otherwise they would have been promoting health and wellness and uh, weight loss for healthy living and nutrition and all that stuff, but they're not doing that. So anyways, on the topic, going back, I'm kind of all over the place, on the topic of Ivermectin, you can listen to what Vincent says about it. Um, the horse tranquil, the horse dewormer versus human use. Okay, it is used for horses for deworming. It's a horse version. There's also a human version. It's an antiparasitic. Uh, yes, the FDA lists either as either of those two things. But uh, uh, after listening to the Vincent podcast, he actually says even the FDA approves off-label use of ivermectin. You must consult the doctor for the correct dosages and when to use it. All the d- and and he discusses in that podcast, by the way, that there was a study in Australia that said, hey, this is very useful and will probably help. However, the dose they were using was above the approved rate, so they dropped it. So he even admits we should have looked into this. He also says the data on masks is inconclusive, as in there's not enough data. We need to, more data on whether they're not. What, they mean, what he means by that, I believe, I don't think he clarifies it, is there's not enough data to support mask mandates there's also not enough data to say masks don't work outright but again mask mandate and the efficacy of masks are two different things i think the mask mandates are basically stupid and have done nothing but make people feel better uh again i'm i'm adding all this stuff at the intro just for clarification now uh, a university of waterloo did a study on masks recently by the way there were tons and tons of studies of masks before that said with viruses they don't work very well the focus on these studies is on aerosolization as in aerosolized particles which happens when you do that but remember viruses are much smaller so again i don't think they're doing these studies properly with regards to virus they're just doing it with aerosolized particles not virus particles so the question is how long can the virus last in the air how long does it spread that i'm not sure because i don't see the damn data and that was i think vincent's perspective um but it would very much seem the university of waterloo study that i've read uh regular surgical masks tend in a lab with a dummy perfect settings so this is not humans humans and dummies are different so in a perfect lab settings surgical mask 10 percent efficacy for aerosolized particles not necessarily specific of that um so they're actually mixing it up now. I'm just reading here a university of right off their website. Uh, previous research has found that aerosolized dispersed by infected people are the source of transmission of SARS-CoV-2, even outside two-meter social distance. So you need to understand that two-meter social distancing was a bullshit, bullshit number. No, one, I don't know why anyone found it. It's bullshit because you can go much farther with these particles. So the thing is with the study, it doesn't really seem talk about the virus particle which can go through the mask it just talks about aerosolized as in your spit which aerosolized and can carry that now that means in a perfect lab setting it's basically 10 percent efficacy from what i've read for uh the regular masks and then for n95 k95 50 percent efficacy so that means a mask mandate is absolutely ludicrous if in perfect lab settings with medical masks uh, just just looking at aerosolized particles, not even the virus, 
they're basically useless for this purpose. And I, I've heard many virologists and immunologists say this for the whole time. Now, the uh, K95, N95, K95, 50% in perfect lab settings for aerosolized. Again, this is for aerosolized particle, not necessarily the virus, so it's a bit misleading. Um, 50%. Well, okay, now we're talking this is a lot better. But again, mask mandates. I see people wearing, very rarely wearing those masks. Why? Because they're uncomfortable. No one wants to wear them. So do mask mandates work or is it just about people's feelings? There's a big difference between what works and what doesn't. I've been saying the whole time, if you're scared of this virus, you should be wearing a respirator that's fitted to you and it's comfortable. Okay, they look ridiculous. They make people feel like we're in a crazy world, but that's actually what will protect you. So on a, on when we're playing a numbers game, why the policies are what they are is because um, they're playing a numbers game, so they need to reduce it as much as possible, which I said at the beginning, if this was just transmitted by spit, not even aerosolized, then the masks are useful, and if it's a 10% efficacy, then great. However, as we're well into this pandemic at this point, mask mandates are more about your feelings. As a general rule, considering most people aren't wearing even remotely proper masks, and even if you are, you're reusing your masks, which wouldn't basically makes them stupidly useless. Uh, you're taking them on, you're taking them off, you're rubbing them on things. Uh, hospital protocol is you replace it after every person. So just saying. And, and, and the medical masks, by the way, are meant for spit, just so you don't spit or any smaller or larger particles. So the mask, man, the, the, the mask mandates, quite frankly, are, are, have failed. Um, and have m done more to create hysteria and problems, in my opinion. Um, so, just wanted to clarify those two things. This isn't the best intro, I understand, but it is what it is. But I want to go back to the ivermectin. If you see what the media is doing, categorically trying to slander the use of this drug, which all over the world, Argentina, Mexico, Japan was trying it out, though I don't know what's followed out there. Uh, studies have been promising. It was one of, by the way, 17 medications found in an earlier publications that have efficacy. My further research in papers and, and other stuff uh, has indicated that it's very much to do with zinc. Now, here, here I just uh, off thing on the ivermectin thing. Here's a study from PubMed. Uh, ivermectin, a multifaceted drug, a Nobel Prize honor, distinction with indicated efficiency against a new global scourge, COVID-19. This is from 2021. So abstract. In 2015, the Nobel Committee for Physio uh, Physiology or Medicine, in its only award for treatments of infectious disease since six decades prior, honored the discovery of ivermectin. So that's specifically to do with its discovery. A multifaceted drug deployed against some of the world's most devastating tropical diseases since March 2020, when it was first used against new global scourge COVID-19, more than 20 randomized clinical trials have tracked such inpatient, outpatient treatments. Six of seven meta-analysis of ivermectin treatment reporting... Uh, 2021 found notable reductions in COVID-19 fatalities with a means 31% relative risk of mortality versus controls. During mass uh, treatments in Peru, excess deaths fell by a means of 74% over 30 days in its 10 states with most extensive treatment reductions in death correlations with extent of ivermectin distributions in all 25 states. Okay. This is all over the world. You've seen this data. The, they are demonizing this thing. As uh, Vincent suggests, it's because they put all their cookies in one jar. 
Fauci put all his cookies in one jar. He's responsible for the funding. They only wanted to look at vaccines, probably because it's going to enrich a lot of people. Ivermectin, I believe, is a dollar a dose. Now, my further research uh, about this is also, again, heavily involved with zinc. Uh, zinc is really important, and both ivermectin, by the way, and hydrochloric can help absorb zinc. That's a could be a huge factor, but ivermectin on its own seems to work far better. And the continued understanding is them as a prophylactic, prophylactic. Meaning, if you feel your symptoms, you take stuff with the doctor's recommendations, etc. Immediately, and you will see a problem. Uh, you will see it. So, in the hospitals, people go, they feel sick, they give it right away. It works. If you wait too long, and you're getting sicker and sicker, well, now it's too late. They have to do other uh, protocols. Um, I just want to read if I can pull this up. <coughs> uh, Sage journals. 20-week study of clinical outcomes of over-the-counter COVID-19 prophylaxis and treatment um, results. While both groups were uh, moderate in size, the difference between them in outcomes over 20-week study period was large and stark. Just under 4% of the compliant test group presented flu-like symptoms, but none of the test group was COVID-positive, where 20% of the non-compliant control group uh, conclusion, offering a low-cost, readily implemented antiviral approach, the study regime may suggest serve at least a stopgap modality, perhaps a useful tool combining the pandemic. Now, this one heavily talks about zinc in this study and the use of zinc, as well as other things. Uh, the core supplement formulas included zinc, zinc hormones, vitamin C, D3, and E, and L-lysine. Okay, so there's tons of studies all over the world that suggest that there are options to reduce the burden on the hospital. So this means that if the vaccines don't stop the spread, they just re re reduce the load. For those who don't want to get vaccinated, there are tons of options that are readily available, over-the-counter options that can be taken and advised from doctors safely. They just need further, as Vincent suggested, he, they, we need further studies to get exact dosages correct. And nobody wants to fund those. Nobody wants to do that because, as again, he suggested, all the monies went to the vaccines. So... Um, stop with this nonsense. If the original argument, which still stands, is we don't want to overburden our hospitals, guess what? Then it's about reduction of severe symptoms requiring hospitalization and not about other stuff. Since the vaccines do not stop the spread, which is another one of my contentions about the misinformation, disinformation from our own doctors and our own healthcare professionals, and Dr. Bonnie Henry in our province who are incorrect the way they are presenting the information because they're making people believe incorrect things like only the unvaccinated. And when governments around the world are consistently saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, well, if that's the problem with the hospitals, then start handing out prophylactics like candy that are over-the-counter and safe and get the correct doses. That way people feel sick at home. They can just take them without needing to go to the hospital. Where is the readily available at-home daily antigen testing? Where? This is laziness. This is ridiculous and has many people convinced that they need to go out screaming at other people and demanding that they get it a shot they don't want. Because, by the way, there are some people who genuinely cannot take it because their cost-benefit analysis shows that it would be higher risk for them to take it. Again, I personally know three people. No, two plus one a friend of mine told me who were hospitalized as a result of the vaccines and now have permanent damage. 
it happens. It's a small percentage, but they're misrepresenting the safety of this for everybody. Additionally, I want to clarify, <coughs> in British Columbia, they will list, this is off of the BCCDC website, they will list anyone unvaccinated who tests positive in the hospital if you got the first shot within 21 days, which means I get the shot, I test positive for COVID-19 using questionable testing methods, but whatever, I, I don't want to get into that specifically. <coughs> you got the shot, you ended up with COVID, you go to the hospital you're listed as unvaccinated. So when they present information in a propagandistic forum saying 71% of hospital visits are va unvaccinated and then in the small disclaimer at the bottom it says most of them are older. But then also you realize in the BCCDC it says they probably got their first shot within the last three weeks. Now that does not mean the shot inherently causes COVID. It's just a natural thing of, of uh, uh, vaccines that... Um, Sometimes you get sick. It happens. But now they're misrepresenting the data to the public. Uh, the other thing is uh, interesting, back to that Vincent one. Very interestingly, he questions how good the polio vaccine is. Everyone's been using that. He also questions how good the flu shots are. The expert. Just saying. Things are relative. So I think, I hope I cleared up some things that I wanted to clear up in the podcast. Again, this is intro, me and Aaron talking, politics, and then the COVID thing. Critical thinking. I'm sorry, but I don't see the evidence that everyone is particularly under certain ages must get vaccinated. The evidence suggests strongly there's tons of options, prophylactics that people can take at home, consult a doctor um, to prevent severe symptoms, which will then prevent hospitalization. Of course, if you need to go to the hospital, go to the hospital. You're being lied to, though, as a general rule. Oh, the last thing that I wanted to say, because I said Fauci's a liar, and Fauci is a liar. He's getting caught as a liar. And I know you, a lot of people don't like the source. This is just the one I have right now, Daily Wire. I get it. You don't like the source, but do find the original stuff. I'm just reading this now. So top scientist on news report about research on Chinese labs. It's clear Fauci was untruthful. A report published on Monday alleges that U.S. government-funded highly controversial gain-of-function research on bat coronaviruses at the Wuhan Lab Institute Virology in China. Essentially, um, I don't need, I don't need any research to know he's lying because his story has changed so much about the funding issue. The he would have known as the head of the funding where that went before this pandemic happened. He would have known the fact of his knowledge never changed from point A to point B. His story has consistently changed. It went from we did not fund this, this is a lie, to if I didn't fund this uh, kind of research, it would be like it would be unethical. So he's a liar. He, he's a liar. So I don't know why anyone's listening to this clown who's clearly being politicized. His work in the AIDS pandemic is one thing. He is clearly an old guy wanting money now and he's politicizing things. So I my found my statement about him being a liar is very well founded in I've seen his emails, I've seen the interviews, I've seen what he's his story changing, he's a liar, and the evidence is coming out consistently that he's a liar. So he should not be in his position at a minimum. He should have been fired a long time ago. But due to politics, I'm sorry, in five years we're gonna find out 
that this was a big case of government mismanagement politics over the expense of public health and an emphasis on them protecting our failing systems in countries like England and Canada and politics in countries like the U.S. So do your research. Stop believing people blindly. Make your own decisions in consultation with the doctor, although, again, the doctors in Canada are being censored and muzzled, which is disgusting. The discussion is supposed to be between you and your patient and their specific health needs. There is no one-size-fit-all. End of story. Okay, so that's half-hour intro. So uh, I needed to clear up a few things, but I'll put the timestamps, you'll know, at the, th- at the beginning, uh, in, 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 the, in the actual post, so you can see. But here is the discussion about politics, about what's going on in Canada and the election, and about my thoughts on other things, as well as my full rant about how this COVID-19 has been handled and the mass hysteria. So enjoy Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system, it is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucididi. Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. Okay, welcome back. Uh, This is an episode that will be a little different uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. The guest I have today is Erin. And we met uh, in university and we like to have, we, we, well, at least we used to have a lot of dialogue when we were in university. And this show is going to get very political 100%. But before we get into anything, I just wanted to say we're kind of co-recording this. So we'll figure out how this goes because Aaron wants to launch his own podcast. Um, so it'll be a fun one either way. So uh, Aaron, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on, Jonathan. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, just so my guess, because um, uh, you, uh, you don't have a martial arts background, but who are you? What's your background, etc. Okay, right on. So I'm um, a British Columbian. You can see my my BC flag back here. Um, I've grown up here, and I uh, I'm in law school right now. Um, so I grew up playing sports like soccer and hockey and different things, but never really martial arts. Uh, I was lucky enough that I didn't have to um, get Develop into any, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't forced to resolve conflicts through violence uh, beyond just my family. And I was always the older brother. So there was an advantage there. Yeah. Um, but um, I definitely have a lot of respect for martial arts and I, I wish I had developed more of uh those skills and i i do admire what you've achieved in that area yeah 
It's been a lot of work. I wish I had more students, but we're in Vancouver. So there we are. <laughs> you were my Krav Maga instructor for at least one lesson, and I, I would have gone back for more. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's mostly in BC. It's like a convenience thing. People, this is a very strange province, which we'll get into. Um, just the <laughs> attitudes of people here are not like other places. And a lot of people don't know how to read. Like, you know, well, they're saying this. And I'm like, yeah, but they're doing this. So watch what people are doing, not what they're saying. <laughs> If that makes sense. But yeah, um, what was your undergrad degree since uh, we... Right, yeah. So um, I have a bachelor's in criminology with a minor in uh, political science with honors from Kwantlen Polytechnic University. Which is where we met. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. You, were, you were pretty active there, I can't, if I remember, in the various clubs and, and whatnot, right? Yeah, I, I had a really good time in university. Um, I really admired Kwantlen because it was a university that was big enough that it had um, money and facilities and opportunities, but yeah. small enough that there were um, opportunities to get involved and make things happen on your own or with a small group. See, we have very different opinions on our experience at the <laughs> university. Well, I, I, I ran into problems with... Um, with the student union and the administration at different times. Yeah, uh, we, both, we both did, yeah. <laughs> but overall, it was a good experience. And uh, I would reconcile those differences and say that I'm, I'm, I'm happy with uh, how things went. Yeah, you were on, correct me if I'm wrong, were you on the like mock uh, UN thing? Or am I imagining that? No, that's right. Yeah, I was involved uh, with the Model UN Club for a number of years. I was probably one of my main uh, extracurriculars at school, I, I sometimes make a joke that I have a minor in Model UN because we did 16 conferences during yeah. those years. Uh, we hosted three at Kwantlen and then we attended a whole bunch around the, the Pacific Northwest and Seattle and Vancouver. And, mm-hmm. and we went to Worldman a few times. Uh, the highlight of that was in Brussels in 2014 and in Seoul, Korea in 2015. Nice. Yeah. So you're a world traveler. I guess that's why you want to be a lawyer because you want to be a politician and you have to be a lawyer according <laughs> to the whole industry, even though you know how it is, right? No, that there's a different, uh, definite overlap between people yeah. who study law and people who become politicians. Absolutely. It makes why do you sense. Think that is, though? Well, the way our government is structured, right? We have um, the legislative branch, which writes the laws. Yeah. And then the executive and infra- executive branch administers the laws and our judicial branch interprets the laws. So uh, it, it makes sense if you're going to be in the, the legal branch or in government to have a, a study of law. Now, it, in theory, it's one of those things that I think it's like in theory on paper, it makes sense. Um, however, when you get too many people who think exactly the same running things, you lose that diversity of thought aspect. And then they keep doing the exact same thing over and over and over again, constantly that isn't working. So perhaps we need less lawyers in politics because you need some, like, have you ever met an engineer, like a structural civil engineer, where they just cannot think, like, even though they're an engineer, they like cannot think outside the box when talking about like people things. And I, I hear what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. You know, you need people with diverse skills and diverse backgrounds and diverse educations who bring different approaches and knowledge to the table. You can't have uh, too many groups of lawyers or judges thinking that they're experts. And that's one thing that actually is pretty good about law, that there's um, an institution which has built in a recognition that 
there are things we're not an expert in. So we have rules around taking an expert evidence and expert testimony when you're qualified as an expert and when you're um, giving giving a non-expert opinion. So there's kind of um, an understanding of that. And it's not, it doesn't always go right, but um, it is one method of qualifying expertise. Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting because I've watched a lot of lawyers like to say, I'm a lawyer, trust me. And I'm like, what's your area of law? Because <laughs> there I've run into lawyers who are lecturing me on legal stuff. And I find out their area of law had nothing to do with what they're lecturing me on. And then I'm like, hey, you know, you're wrong about this. I once had a lawyer, uh, they tried to sue me and they were, they were going off the basis of uh, I'm a lawyer, I'm a lawyer. And their area of expertise was something to do with like native land claims to do with the government and something that's what they were focusing on. And they tried, they tried to quote, use the like uh, Freedom of Information Act against me. I'm like, I'm not the government. Like, you don't have a right to private information. You need a warrant or like a, a subpoena or something. I'm not giving that to you. And they're like, you have to. Freedom of information. I'm a lawyer. I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like um, like an incorrect legal interpretation. I know, so right? I, yeah. Well, good for you for standing up against that. That's the difference between public law and private law. So yeah. in public law, it governs the relationship between the individual and the state, like the Freedom of Information Act. but Tort law would govern my relationship with you if you yeah. decide to sue me. Now, that, now for those who, just to cut in, who, the, for those who don't know, uh, could you just explain tort law? Just to oh, well, tort, on. sure. It's, it's um, basically a field or a branch of law which involves liability between private parties. So it, it doesn't involve the government. Uh, if, if, say, you hit me in your car, uh, I would sue you for the damages I suffered and you would be liable to me. And tort law governs um, the process of that claim and the, the law around that liability. So like civil law, lawsuits yeah. and stuff. Yeah, More yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's law between individuals, whereas like criminal law would be the state and the individual. Yeah. And just to clarify, for legal reasons, Aaron is not a lawyer and That's therefore right. is not legally considered an expert on the law. So this is just a conversation, not exactly. Life. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. That's right. I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. But I, I hope to be uh, pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought about getting into law because I, I would be very good at corporate law. Um, but I don't like the whole industry at in, like the jumping through the hoops and you know, if it was a matter in like some states where you can just take the test and be certified, I'd be like, sweet. Um, but the whole, like, like, you have to intern after law school forever and you get yeah, you have to article forever. Yeah, article. Um, and then like, you're ah. qualified to enter the profession and you're a yeah. baby and you're level zero and now you can start learning things. Yeah. Now, th there, there is merit to that and there's also not merit to that. What are your thoughts on like mm -hmm. making it so strict here about that? Um, As compared to like the well, state, some states where it's just like take the bar and you're a lawyer. No, that's that's a great question. Um, so you have you have two values that you're trying to balance. On one hand, you want to qualify lawyers. You want the public to be able to trust that a lawyer is competent, that they know what they're doing, that they've studied, that they're not going to lead them astray or take advantage of them, and that if they do, um, there's a professional governing body which will hold them accountable. So it, 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 it creates trust in the profession of lawyers, which we want, um, because if people are going to get help 
when they've been taken advantage of by someone powerful, they need to have a lawyer who's on their side, who they trust. Uh, on the other hand, you want to have access to these people. You don't want them to be so highly qualified and highly educated that they're unavailable. Mm. Because when justice is only available to the rich and powerful, it's, uh, it's a reductio ad absurdum. Because Meaning. justice is there. It's a reduction to an absurd proposition. Mm. Because if only the powerful people can get protected from powerful people, then the weak are not being protected by justice because they can't access it. Except that's kind of what's still going on, unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's <laughs> the problem right now, that no one can really access justice unless you're a corporation or a government. Yeah. Um, so what that means is that at all different levels, people can take advantage of their power. Um, managers over employees or principals in schools or um, business people. Um, you know, if, if the vulnerable members of society do not have access to protection, then they need to suffer whatever people are willing to do to them. Yeah, makes sense. No, they're so, vulnerable. So yeah. you're, you're sort of saying you're kind of for like the, the strict structure we have here. Cause so for example, as, as opposed to like in the, uh, like having standards is a good thing, but, uh, do you know what Goodhart's law is? Um, it's not an I actual law. Know. It's like a, a concept. So good, okay. Goodhart's law is, I'm going to screw this up, but it's to do with like how you measure things. So when you standardize stuff and I believe in having a standardization because it's just sort of a loose uh, bar to measure to. But what ends up happening, as you're seeing in the States with the SATs, is that people start focusing on the wrong things. So in right. say, the SATs is actually an exam uh, excellent example, whereas the education system isn't actually focusing on education it's focusing on getting people to pass the SATs because SAT scores is, determines how much funding they get. And instead of focusing on the correct thing, which is overall education. So uh, like in the States, some states like Oregon, like a bunch of psychos are saying no grades, no this because blah, 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 blah. And they're taking away any, any semblance of measurement at all um, for the sake of making the, you know, certain groups feel better. But what's gonna, what will 100% happen is you're going to get standards just go out the window. Because now nobody nobody cares. Because people do need those measurements and goals to achieve. Um, so Goodhart's law, as far as we need a standard for lawyers, et cetera, et cetera, becomes you need to jump through these hoops in order to be a good lawyer. That's not true. Uh, there will always be people who are just exceptional and don't want to get into law or any particular field like doctors or whatever because they're like, listen, I can do it without doing the ten years, okay? And I'm probably better than some of you because people don't like to admit. There's 10% of the population that's just better at stuff. Uh, and, and they're not incentivized to get into things because they don't want to waste their time jumping through hoops, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you're identifying um, a pattern that I call the, the means becoming the ends problem. Yeah. So like, for example, wearing a mask is a means to protect yourself and others from COVID. Hmm. It's not an end in itself. Yeah. So when people focus too much on wearing a mask and they forget everything else about protecting COVID, that means has become an end in itself. Yeah. So when we're focused on getting a high score on the SAT rather than developing a, ourselves as people, then the means have become the ends, right? So the, the point isn't to do well, it's to get more funding by having the, the highest numbers, right? Yeah. So... You know, this is a dangerous problem. We can't lose sight of our goals. Yeah. And what's now, 
Yeah. Do you want to do the COVID stuff now or do you want to do your list of, of 10 questions or whatever? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, that'd be good to do now if you're down. Yeah, so yeah. Um, for, for my podcast, I'm, I'm hoping to have different guests on and ask them all different questions. So I kind of have a list of 10 questions that I'm planning to ask everyone. So let's get into it if sure. you're ready. So okay. for my guests, my guests will probably have tired of hearing some of these, but it's always good to get uh, different the different people asking similar questions, you learn from people, how consistent are they? Because if they're saying <laughs> the same stuff over 10 years, at least you can trust their consistency. So hopefully I'm consistent with other stuff I've said. <laughs> well, and uh, even if you're not, you show a capacity for growth and learning, which is yeah. always good, right? Okay, so the first one is, um, where were you born? Uh, in uh, Vancouver, Metro Vancouver area. Yeah. Uh, which languages do you speak? English and shitty Hebrew. <laughs> and if you want the uncensored version for your podcast, English and not so great Hebrew. <laughs> um, what is your profession? Martial arts instructor and general dissident. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I just aggravate a lot of people. Um describe your uh, worldview or your predominant political philosophy um i want truth uh, i i think that the search for truth and growth is uh the only way we will come out of this thing that is the the human experience that so many people seem to be struggling with unfortunately the truth is often not what people want to hear or it goes against the narrative because you know, I, I don't like black and white dichotomies and I know humans prefer that because it's simple. Uh, so I, I, I guess the search for truth, uh, meaning I've already found in, in teaching martial arts, as far as political, I'm more like center, center, right, because I believe that is the safer route to a more enlightened society. What's your favorite thing about yourself? I don't know. Let me think. Ah, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question. Honestly, it's, uh, it's very existential in the sense, like if I'm not me, if I'm someone else, can, am I even me? So you just, I, I don't know if I can answer that with a specific thing. I'd say you just have to be content with yourself if you're not. Well, if you don't like something or like someone, something, you just have to refine it and get, get better or worse or ignore or whatever. It's just, I, you know, contrary to people's belief about me who are unwilling to have a conversation, a proper one, uh, I, I believe I'm capable of, of learning and growing in a way that other people might not be able to. But a lot of people would disagree with that, I think. I don't know if that answers it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh I think that's a pretty good answer. If you want, you can say something you're the most proud of. That's kind of what I'm thinking. But if not, we can move on to. Uh, well, I mean, if, if that's the case that I, I've built something that can help other people grow, if, if that's but that's more of an external thing, I suppose, like my my company, Urban Tactics, like I've helped for those who want to come and learn from me, um, then I've helped them in their path to development. You know, a lot of people are don't like my approach and walk away, and that's fine. Um, but I've had a few cases with some individuals. Well, I'll give you, 
the what the shining example of that I had uh, I had an individual a teenager who came in and 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 they know about like I'm not going to say their name but if they're listening good for you you did a good job uh, anyways and they could not talk to other people they had severe social anxiety and they would break down and could not function and through teaching Krav Maga in a few years I got them to not only uh, overcoming that to a degree but teaching the class. Um, so I think the thing that I've created for those who trust me and my methods, uh, I can get some pretty amazing results. I think helping people grow. Is that a better answer? <laughs> I like both. I like both. Honestly. <laughs> what do you want from your life? Well, what does anyone happiness, healthiness, just happy, healthy life that leaves some kind of positive legacy? I think. It's pretty straightforward. What is your uh, view of modern religion? Uh, it's changed over the years. You know, when I was younger, I was one of those, you know, for those who don't know, I grew up Jewish. Shocker. Uh, even though I don't get along with the Jewish community. I don't know if you saw my uh, Facebook board there the other day. It got quite inflammatory. Um, but anyways, um, when I was younger, I was one of those ardent atheists. And... I don't like like a more a Richard Dawkins type approach to things where he's like anyone who believes this is nonsense and how dare they. And over the years, I'm more, you know, the, the, the lines between spirituality and religion are exceptionally blurred because, you know, of corruption and, and, and whatnot. And I actually Ben Shapiro changed my mind with his he was saying, explaining that a lot of people need to believe in something outside of themselves or they will lose their minds. So I personally don't need religion. It's not necessary uh, in my life so that I don't have some kind of existential psychotic crisis. But I think a lot of very intelligent people choose to go to religion to avoid that existential crisis. And I think if religion is doing a positive thing, it depends on the religion because I think a lot of religions are doing very negative things or at least the administrators of said religion or the clergies, not all of them. Uh, it can be a very positive thing, but it's often misused and bastardized. So if religion in a person's life is helpful and makes them happier and more productive without being a preachy douchebag, um, then I'm, I'm okay with it. But if it's something that is making you believe that it's okay to oppress others or attack others or convert others or preach to others excessively, I'm not okay with that. Uh, I guess that's a good my answer. What's your view of uh, modern capitalism? Capitalism is not a problem. Consumerism is a problem. Capitalism is simply an open-ended means to find solutions to problems and allows the most creative people to do, the innovators to do. Consumerism is using greed to convince people they need something that they don't, right? Um, so what they'll do, well, it's not just companies it's governments do this too they're doing it right now is i need to convince people of something so that i can get what i want that's not inherently specific to capitalism that's inherently specific to humanity as in humans want to acquire resources the issue is not capitalism it's how you how you use it right the concept of ethical capitalism you're seeing people like i think elon musk is applying ethical capitalism because he's saying my goal is to make the, the world better i want it greener i want these technologies and he's doing 
whatever he needs to do at the expense of his bottom line in order to make that achieve. And uh, he's done an amazing thing versus someone like Jeff Bezos. Is He says he's helping the world, but I don't really see it. Now, I mean, Amazon has done a good job at making a globalized world if you want that. So he's helped the globalists immensely. But is he really an ethical capitalist? I, I'm not really sure about that. So capitalism, to me, is the most successful model for the evolution of man through as far as working with our biological, our innate in biological behaviors of uh, we want to acquire and develop and grow. But it's what you do with it. Pushing consumerism, you need the new iPhone every six months is insane and not, not healthy. Okay, we got a couple more questions for you. Yeah. So far, it's been pretty good, I think. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> what's your view of modern uh, gender classification? You want me to not swear on your podcast? <laughs> Are you going to have a censored podcast or not is what I'm asking. No, you, you, can, you, can, you can speak Fuck freely. that, okay? They, I, I can't stand the people saying trust the science. This applies to this too because they've basically taken biology and said fuck biology, fuck actual science. I want to believe whatever the fuck I want to believe. XX and XY chromosomes or XXY chromosomes exist, period. End of goddamn story. Stop telling me these things don't exist. If you define uh, biological male and female simply as it should be, as we've defined it throughout nature, which is uh, whoever has the eggs and bears the child is the female, and whoever has the zygote or sperm or whatever is the male, that you cannot change. And then genome-wise, yes, you do get the odd genetic mutation that is XXY, you know, that does exist. Now, people are confusing gender with your expression of who you are. And they're trying to pretend like biology doesn't exist. Um, like the, the Olympic lifter, which I think is insane. And I think they choked. Because if you look, the I forgot the like Hubbard something from New Zealand in the Olympic lifting. If you look at their normal ability to lift weights, they'll blow the female records out the water. Even though against men, uh, the male records, they're in the middle of the pack. So people have politicized this based on, okay, if they'd had a 100% their perfect day, they would have won gold, no problem. But they choked and like, ah, you see, this, this person who was a biological male and has all the advantages of a biological male competes against a person who didn't have these advantages, lost. Therefore, you see, it doesn't matter, but it's like, okay, but if you know anything about competition and athleticism, they choked or did it intentionally because if they had won, they probably would have screwed the whole argument. Um, if you and also there's a there is an element of mental health in this that nobody wants to talk about because some people identify as a cat. You're telling me that person is mentally healthy if they're identifying as a cat as their gender? Like, are you out of your mind? Uh, and then a lot of these gender researchers who are like, listen, if you want to do this or that, you want to be, it's all fine. It's totally fine uh, if that's what makes you happy. Um, saying we have a problem here where I forgot their names. Um, uh, Deborah So, I think, is one of them. Um, there is another woman. I forgot her name right now. These are, these are sex researchers, gender research. These are the scientists we should be listening to. And what they're saying versus what the media and these ideological lunatics are pushing is not the same thing. You know, they were saying historically throughout humanity, uh, there has always been, seems to have been recorded cases of men, biological men, who exhibit... Uh, homosexual tendencies. 
it's very common. Uh, or even, you know, uh, if you want to use the word transgender, there is historical precedence for that. Um, women, however, there is much less historical precedence for uh, transgenderism. What there is historical precedence for women is um, that women are more sexually fluid compared to men, as in there's more women willing to be bisexual than not. And from an evolutionary psychological perspective, that's because of women being more nurturing, need to develop the social interactions a lot more. So, you know, sexuality and sex is a means to develop connections with people. That does not mean that they identify as the other gender. So what they, a lot of these researchers are saying is that we have a problem right now with this, particularly teenage girls that's no different with the anorexia problem, that young girls are far more influenced by the groupthink and will do insane things if the group does it. They were comparing it to anorexia, that the anorexic problem of the 90s where girls are being anorexic because their friends are anorexic. If you get one girl in a group of teenagers saying, I'm transgender, they're all all of a sudden transgender. People are ignoring established psychological phenomenons to push uh, political ideology that's going to do damage. What you will find in 20, 30 years is that there's a whole bunch of girls who transition through surgery and are regretting it. Oh, wait. You already have that. You just have to dig and look for it of people who transitioned who were female to men and are regretting it. But you can't hear it because it goes against the narrative. So are we really talking about what is the best solution for all people as far as how they feel to live a happy, productive life? Or are we pushing, pushing an ideology for political means and gains to get votes because that's what works? If you're talking about making people happier, healthier. You can't then say that these scientists who've dedicated their whole lives are wrong, then, then use that same argument towards this COVID stuff and say, well, these scientists have dedicated their whole lives and are wrong. It's a hypocrisy, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to end in a complete disaster. Now, can we move towards a place in society where it's more accepted, say, in the native sense of two-spirit? Um, sure. But my question is, we need to really understand what is a mental health issue and what is someone, for reasons that we don't understand yet, feels they're in the wrong body. There's probably a biological mechanism to it because my understanding for homosexuality, there have been a, a bunch of studies, whereas if a woman has many male children, there's a protein breakdown in the genetic makeup, which then causes them to be more homosexual. Uh, which to me makes complete sense and is natural because maybe it's nature saying, hey, this genetic line, you know, maybe stop reproducing. For whatever reason, I don't understand how it works, right? I'm not God, I'm not that, but that's what the research is suggesting. Um, so those who say homosexuality is not natural, I'm sorry, historical precedents through all time suggest, yes, it is. It's happened from all time. The question to ask is, how, what's the percentage? But because people hate lists when it's going after them, uh, we don't know how much of the world population is homosexual uh, or is bisexual. And I'm, I would speculate for men, it's probably 5 to 10% of the world, which is a lot of people. Um, for women, it's probably less. It's probably like 2 to 3%. However, as, as evidence suggests, it's more likely women are okay with being bisexual or having a sexual encounter with women. But as far as 100 genders, like, get the fuck out of here, like, this is because that's a it's a mental health issue that people don't want to address as a mental health issue and you you know it's a mental health issue again some people legitimately are probably in the same wrong body but to what degree it's hard to say 
um, if you're a cat, you're, you need help, okay? Uh, you, you need help. And you know this because a lot of people who transition end up committing suicide anyway. And they'll blame society, but we know for a fact that happiness is from within regardless of... I mean, look at RuPaul, okay? Not my thing at all. RuPaul drag queen thing, not my thing. I'm not into that culture. However, look how happy uh, he is. Right, because happiness comes from within, and 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 no matter what it is, you find the group of people that we want to be around. Just don't force it on people. The same way I'm against uh, religious uh, prophesizing, like you find, have you found Jesus yet? I hate that shit. Get out of my face. It's the same same thing. If you're anti that, you can't be pushing this shit the way they're pushing it, and and they're they're destroying the education system to push this nonsense ideology that is barely even scientifically based. These people who claim to follow the science. There's my rant-ish on that one. I'll probably get flagged for that one. <laughs> cool. All right. So last uh, question, question 10. Yes. Um, what is something that we should be taking more seriously? Here's where I agree. We need to take education more seriously. But again, Goodhart's Law. Stop focusing on the wrong things and stop pushing untested ideas into the school system um if we know that if you get a society more educated so for example the population thing they realized if you get women educated which i'm all for they realize the cost of having 10 kids in the modern world we're no longer in an agrarian society and the mortality rate of children is not 50 percent anymore which it was pre 1900s um watching hands surprisingly magic how that one works um, you don't need 10 kids anymore. And they realized that if you get the global population educated, particularly in the women uh, category, then you reduce the amount of kids that we have. Education, not indoctrination, will save the world. And there is a fundamental difference. Right now, what we're seeing is indoctrination. Um, because people want to be heard. I, I get that. But you need to really think hard about how you present the information before you go full woke, which I despise. So a public education system really needs to focus on fundamentals, the science, social development at the younger age. Uh, what is the established science at this time? Not our, what ideas that a, that a popular book that sold a lot and we like to talk about are pushing. What is the actual established consistent science pushing, uh, saying rather not pushing? And we need to teach that how to think critical thinking in the education system. So one thing is let's talk science on that. Uh, I did psychology, which, you know, if you want to say is not a real science, because if you if you're one of those people who rigidly define science as, as something you can. But science is just a process. So how, how do you find out the truth is just the scientific method or that's a means of finding out the truth. That's science. It's not a person. It's not it's not a whatever. And. And even in psychology, I'm reading these studies and half of them are shit, as in they're garbage. Why are they even a thing? Like, why am I reading this? This is nonsense. Why is the teacher saying this is a good study? This is a crap study. I even had a sociology professor who's like, I got my uh, PhD thesis and I destroyed his PhD th thesis in a paragraph of, of counter and just the look on his face. Uh, I forgot exactly. It was like a sociology's people forget about evolutionary changing need and behaviors so he's like human behavior is justified because xyz i said if i take your theory and take it to people 100 years ago it's not going to apply here's why 
And just the look on his face was like, uh, so this guy got his PhD on a thesis that is bullshit. And I just proved it wrong with just logic. Um, so you need to teach critical thinking. And just because it's a scientific paper doesn't necessarily mean anything. You have to read it. How did they acquire their data? How did they acquire their conclusion? Because they can do a wonderful study and then you look and it's like their data is misrepresentative. Or, you know, this is very interesting. We need to do another study to see if this, if did they get it wrong or did they get it right? And, and teaching people to understand that difference, it's not black and white. Oh, a scientist did this. This is science. Therefore, right? So critical thinking needs to come into the education system. Uh, challenging people needs to be more comfortable. But, not, you know, we need to teach the social skills. Um, I think something that's happened in the education system is that there's too many women in it. Um, now, women are more compassionate. They're, you know, more, more empathetic. They're more willing to communicate and, and they want to work with children. This is natural. But, you know, if we, again, we look at all the data, the consistent data, not a study, is that uh, young teens need a bit more freedom. Young teens, boys, sorry, need male role models. They need strong male role models because you see that in many communities where there's no fatherhoods around, they have a lot of problems. And so if the, if the majority of people teaching post-secondary are women, they're, they're, you're not getting that even perspective. And also teenage girls need it too. Now, elementary school is different. Uh, you know, I think women are probably better suited to that. But there's been an over-focus on, on emotions and, and, and empathy and this and that. Uh, in the education system and an under-focus on the knowledge. Now, if we take, say, the uh, Chinese education system that completely flipped, they don't focus on the emotional at all. Um, so education is, is, is key, but it needs to be balanced and it needs to, in a publicly funded one, needs to very much focus on established stuff, not new ideas. Uh, you can use, you can maybe do a trial trial run here and there, see how it goes. Like a lot of people don't know unrelated education, like uh, universal basic incomes has been tried a bunch of times and it, it usually fails flat. Um, and yet political ideology keeps trying to push it. That's a whole different topic. But, you know, you don't experiment in the entire system with new ideas that are clearly not working. And that's what our education system in the West is doing right now. And it's not focusing on developing innovative, creative minds based on established knowledge. Uh, the established knowledge, by the way, could be wrong in 100 years. But in, for the sake of safety's sake and development, you need to, to stick to the established knowledge. As in, we've been consistently understanding this for like 15, 20, 30 years. Uh, you know, if that makes sense. I, I obviously can go on and on and on about that. But educate, proper, neutral education is where we need to go in the, in the world. Cool. Okay, so um, there's that part for Aaron, who really wanted that. Uh, for his podcast, who is the guest? So for my, my, uh, my guest, you'll know a lot of that already. But for Aaron's guest, you can say, oh, man, I knew that guy was nuts, right? A lot of the people in university think I'm out of my mind. Um, but that's what I learned in university was most people are just there for the grades and the paper. They're not actually there to learn. And I called a lot of people on this. Uh, and it made a lot of people very angry. But that's the reality of the world. And so one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on, you wanted to have, because you wanted to have a discussion, because we disagree on how government should operate. 
I am not an anarchist. I believe in limited government. It's necessary, especially with uh, 7 billion people. However, if the solution that governments have is more government, more taxes, more, we need more and more to fix the problems that have been keep compounding, the answer is not more government. So uh, how do you think a government should operate? Well, I would uh, definitely agree with you that we need to have um, a government whose powers are limited and a government who embraces those limits on its own power and doesn't seek to become absolute or totalitarian. At the same time, we live in a world of complex states, which are not equal at all. Um, and we live in a world of corporations, which have incredible power to make decisions and run our lives. So in this context, you have an elite group of society which has power beyond what ordinary people have. And you mentioned a few of them earlier, like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. You almost need a separate department of government which can hold these kinds of people accountable because um, a small limited government does very little to, to keep people like that in check. In that sense, yeah. That, by the way, on that that specific thing, that's the one area of government that I think government needs more of, which is labor enforcement. What is the point of having labor laws if you're not going to enforce it? I don't believe in having laws unless you're go going to reasonably enforce it. So I'm not a, I'm not very pro union because it's just another giant conglomerate to get in the way. Like the teachers' union in the states is disgusting. Um, and, and to a degree, the police union, though I generally support police. Um, but if you have labor laws, hire people to enforce them. Like, and I, I, in BC, where we live, I used to do occupational health and safety. And WorkSafe is a clown show. It's a clown show because they're basically not doing their jobs. They'll walk into a site of a company that is clearly violating safety laws, like bad ones, not simple ones. And they're like, we're here to work with the companies. It's like, no, you're not. Your job is here to tell them they need to fix this or they're facing a fine. And so in a place like BC, they don't do that. And so that's the issue is you don't need unions anymore if the governments are actually doing that aspect of the law. So the idea that the corporations and the governments are separate from each other now is, is not true because nowadays, as opposed to the old days, you don't need to be aristocracy to make do well. You just need to have an idea and do the work. The old days is different. Um, that's why you well, needed unions. One trend that we're seeing right now all over the world is um, corruption in the links between government and business. Yeah. So who you know is becoming extremely important. So I know in China and Malaysia and other um, Asian countries, they have government-linked corporations, or here we would call them um, state-owned enterprises. I would like government... to point out that China is operating on a fascist model now, not a communist one. Boom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't disagree with you. Uh, I'll, I'll take that in, in stride. They're a totalitarian system. Yeah. Um, so what you have is corporations which are owned, majority owned by governments, which are setting the regulatory environment and making deals with those corporations. So what you have is like really a, a messy, confusing economic situation where it's not true that individuals can rise on their own um, merit when the government owns 80% of the the, this 
this economic industry and it, it's owned by these you know state-owned enterprises who have incredible advantages that that other people that regular people cannot hope to compete against hmm. that that makes sense uh, I count, i'll counter that with zuckerberg right he came out of nowhere and just changed the tech world and basically showed that in this new in industry you can come out of obscurity as in like a thousand years ago in certain cultures if you're not aristocracy you cannot end of story it doesn't matter what you do That's so there right. is actually more freedom now in that sense but I, right. i'll counter that with government and corporations are one and the same nowadays because of lobbying in, in the western world so what you were talking about in china it's fascist and people need to understand what they're doing it's fascist model it's not a communist model I look at Jack Ma, how he got silenced. Um, and there's a crackdown in China right now. They're actually taking more freedoms away because they're realizing they're losing control of their public. So the video game thing, kids can now only play video games for an hour on Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays. Or it's Fridays, Saturdays. I don't think they have a three-day thing there. Um, it's fascist because private corporations can exist, but if the government shows up, you have to do what we want. That's fascism. Uh, versus communism, there's no such thing as a private corporation. The government just manages everything for the people, quote unquote. Um, in America, though, you have private corporations and it's a constant battle. So the Democrats in the states want to go after the tech companies because the tech companies have more power than them. But the, the Republicans want to go after them because the tech companies are fundamentally siding with Democrat ideology at the expense of the general public and are helping to divide. They are helping to divide the public period. Um, so government and corporations need to be completely separate. What you want is governments to keep corporations in check. I agree. It's called to have don't be asshole laws, right? But the more government regulations you get, the more it affects small and medium businesses, the harder it actually is for an individual to get up. People blame the corporations, but it's actually the regulations that get in the way. Well, I agree with you, John. Yeah. It sounds like what we need is uh, two systems, yeah. one for billionaires and one for small and medium businesses, you know, who, who need minimal regulations and can do minimal damage. And then you need one for the ones who are incredibly powerful and can destroy everything. Yeah. Well, I think it need a redefinition of what a small business is. I, th I think in Canada, it's like under 50 employees, but a company with 50, under 50 employees, like 10 employees could be worth like $100 million now. And someone like me that's like myself and barely makes money teaching martial arts in, in, North, in uh, Vancouver, the same things that apply to those guys are being applied to me. And I'm like, I can't afford that. Like, so the idea of more government, we need more government to, to, to intervene. It's like, no, they need to get out of the way for true small and medium businesses and redefine it as if you make over a certain amount of money. Uh, well, I think we agree on that. And if, if we really want to get into it, we'll have to get specific about regulations. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can do that sometime. But um, for now, why don't we transition and talk about um, that video that you had sent me? Of, oh, yes, yes. Of uh, Trudeau on the election campaign and people kind of... and chased out. Yeah, yeah being heckled. There's three of them or four of them now. <laughs> so what, what do you want to say about that? I think he is a psychotic narcissist who has no clue what he's doing because he listens to that stuff and he's like, I understand, and then makes it about him. There was another video where he's inside a more. So for those who don't know, we have a Canadian election coming up and we have a prime minister who 
quite frankly, is, I think, probably hated more by the average Canadian than Trump was in America. But it doesn't seem that way because the media isn't going full 100 blast against him. Uh, so there was a case, he, there's a video in Surrey, Canada, BC, Canada, where he was being heckled and chased out by, yes, it is people who are anti-vaccine uh, passport. Um, it's By the way, these are mostly anti-vaccine passport rallies. They're not anti-vaccine uh, vaccines, even though, yes, there are people there who are outright anti-vaccine. Don't conflate the two. Uh, there was a case, two places in Ontario, where they had to cancel that event because there was too many people heckling him. There was another city in Ontario where he also got chased out. I've never seen this kind of hate against a prime minister. Now, I'm not for violence in this case is because violence, when people get violent, it actually does not help the cause unless the media is on your side, like BLM. Um, they did less, they did more damage than they did help. Uh, but the media is on their side. So with this, I don't want people to get violent. But one of the videos I was watching with Trudeau, he's inside an event. You can hear heckling and booing outside and sirens. And what that piece of shit said was, I hear the Canadian public. You want more climate action. And I'm like, what the fuck? All these people are protesting you and your stance on vaccine. Passports. I just saw that actually. Yeah, he said. Like, what a piece of shit. He said something like the, uh, the sirens should remind us of the dire circumstance we're in with, with regard to climate. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And so, like, it, people hate this guy. Left-wing people hate him. Environmentalists hate him. Everyone hates him because he's a pathological liar narcissist who is not governing for the people. He's doing whatever his buddies want. He's had the more... And by the way, for, as far as I'm concerned, an ethics violation is a goddamn impeachment. And he's had six. Like, motherfucker, are you kidding me? So uh, did you ever vote for him or his party? No, absolutely not. The I federal, didn't vote for, Yeah, they're corrupt, I didn't vote the for federal him either. Yeah. But, but I, have a, I probably have a, I would say like a more balanced or a less extreme view. I don't have an extreme According, view. The media just makes it seem like it's an extreme view. Well, uh, you, you use words like uh, psychotic, narcissist. And pathological liar. Okay. So those are so, strong opinions. Yes. Right? So here, here's the thing. If we compare the persona of him versus Trump, you had people persona? up the... Yeah, like how they behave and talk. Okay. And comparing narcissistic tendencies, pathological tendencies. Uh, if you've ever read Trump's... And so the media and their experts, I'm doing air quotes, he is a, a clear narcissist, pathological this and that, and he's doing that. Now, do I think he's a narcissist? Yeah. Um, but if we take the same standards you used on Trump, Trudeau is worse because Trudeau will check off the psycho boxes more than Trump will. Trump will might ch ch uh, check off the narcissist boxes because if he thinks people don't like what he's doing, he will change his mind. If Trudeau thinks people don't like what he's doing, he'll put them on a terrorist watch list, which he's done with reporters. So if we're going to call Trump a psychopath and a narcissist and use the same definitional standards, then Trudeau checks off more boxes because at least Trump listens to some degree to what the public wants. Trudeau well, I don't know about ignored. that. Yeah, I'm I, not sure if I would agree. We would have to like really look at it item by item. I know we disagree go through with the, the, on that. The, the checklist. But I think what we agree is that in each country, there is a level of public hatred and 
uh, vitriol. And I would say that part of this hatred is irrational. So I'm Some not saying it, yes, that. Correct. Yeah, I'm not saying that your criticisms of Trudeau are wrong or exaggerated or irrational. Um, they're definitely strong and extreme. But I think that there's a role that social media is playing in this, which shines a light on weaknesses in our democracy in a very unhelpful way. Um, so social media creates these easily manipulated narratives, which allow us to inflate emotions and subvert um, dialogue and discussion like you and I are having right now. Because if you and I were talking and neither of us were listening to the other person, the discussion would have very little value, Which especially for the listeners on uh, social media. <laughs> <laughs> exactly my point. So when I see people shouting down Trudeau, like not not being willing to listen, I understand that he's done a lot of things wrong and he's broken promises and a lot. Yeah, I, I understand or he's a, not like great. Truckload. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I understand. At the same time there's a large portion of the country which does agree with him and we should be able to talk about it in a democracy and there's time to let out your emotions but it seems like there's so much pent up hatred and and people saying things like giving death threats to trudeau or saying he should be arrested like this guy is the prime minister in a country which relies on public trust for the government to be able to function so either we find someone who we can trust or we um, or we decide to support Trudeau. But either way, we need to have like a reasonable discussion about things. And okay, I think so that, I just want to stop you there for yeah, a sec. Do you think he has broken the law ever? Um, well, yeah, he's, he's most certainly broken the law. And so he's, he's broken the law. Well, at, at least he's broken ethics violations. Like he's he's been found to have violated um, the rules around ethics multiple times. And in that's, the, I, that's what I I'm yeah. referring to. Do you know of other laws he's broken? Yeah, he, there. I forgot the specifics because it's just it's too much. There was one time they did something that, in order to prevent them from really getting screwed, they changed the law after the fact. I didn't do this. Like so, if we agree that. If you say that breaking an ethics law once, if it's a misunderstanding, is okay. Hey, don't do that again. We're not. No, I, I, I would go further than that, John. Yeah. I would say on several occasions he's shown questionable judgment. Questionable. And, 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 well, you could even go stronger than that. He's, it's almost he, intentional at this point. He has. Um, he's cheated and only said sorry when he got caught for it. Like with the Jody Wilson Raybould and the Attorney General mm -hmm. uh, situation, that that was a major assault on prosecutorial independence Correct. and completely so, inappropriate. I, and I know it'll never happen. Think once he's out of the Prime Minister's office, they should one hundred percent investigate everything. End of story. And well, you and will this find is another he's thing. broken the law. You will find. I don't see any possible way that he has not. If he was a private citizen, got caught doing the crap he's doing, he'd be in jail. Uh, and well, I'm not, I think he'd be in jail. Or at least fined to the tunes of millions and millions of dollars at a minimum. If he did this. Well, I don't know. We would have to talk about what specifically you think he needs to be 
punished for. But when it comes to the election, I, I would say that I have not voted for Trudeau up till now. Mm. Up till he, now? Yeah, yeah. Up till now, I have not voted for him. Oh, I see what you mean. I was saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can yeah. tell I'm very, I'm very, I hate him so much. I think hate is, is the correct word. Okay. Well, th that's what I find a little bit concerning. You know, it, it's okay to hate extreme people, but is he as extreme as you think? I really yes, wonder. Yeah. I'll, well, we I'll can give talk a about it. I'll give a comparison. People hated Harper, except my understanding, the game, let's talk the gay marriage thing. My understanding of the gay marriage thing with the conservative party, and Aaron O'Toole is doing it too right now with the environment stuff, is they're saying, listen, so the general base of the conservative party did not support gay marriage. Harper, who does not support gay marriage personally, said, listen, if we don't want a divided country, I'm sorry. We have to allow this. this. This conversation is over. Okay? In order to keep the country together, we're done this debate. Aaron O'Toole is doing things, the same thing with the environment thing. He's saying to the, the and by the way, most, the largest percentage of conservative base is actually more libertarian. The conservative uh, bureaucracy continues to pretend like that's not a thing because of corruption. But anyways, Aaron O'Toole is doing the exact same thing with the environment thing, saying, listen, this is a real thing. You guys need to stop. Okay? We're done here. And yes, the small extremists in the conservative party will be like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Those are the extremists. With Trudeau, he is blatantly saying, this is what I want. I don't care how much it pisses people off. Even if it's 30, 40% of the country, that's a large percentage of the country. I'm doing it anyway. Like the gun thing. With regard to what? The, let's talk the gun, his gun grab. It's illogical. Even the police don't support it. The, the police unions have said, this is not going to solve the crime problem. This is the our own government of Canada statistics do not support banning guns. Why is he pushing it? He's doing it purely to get votes out of Montreal right. and Toronto. End of story. He's doing it because he wants to be in line with the UN small arms treaty. He's doing it for people in the globalist community. And I use the word globalist, not as a conspiratorial thing, but as people in, in politics who believe in a more centralized government way of doing things, which I think is a disaster. He is not listening to the Canadian public. Because even if you have 51% of the vote, which no one, I don't think anyone has had in Canada in a long time, um, you need to listen to the other side. And if pissing off the other side to the point where they're willing to get aggressive, you need to take your foot off the gas and say, okay, we need to find a middle, middle ground. He is not doing that. Harper did that. O'Toole is doing that. He is not. He is just full on gas pedal. I'm doing what I want. And you saw that with the Jody Race and Wilbo thing where they actually challenged him and said, no, I'm not supporting you. Oh, OK, get the fuck out of my party. And it's not even like breaking party lines. It was like, hey, what you're doing is probably illegal and definitely unethical. I am not doing what you're asking. And he kicked them out. So hate is the correct word when we have someone who is just flagrantly ignoring Canadians, flagrantly doing whatever they want, flagrantly being corrupt and Okay, well, this is, a, this is a good segue into some analysis of Trudeau. So for those people who don't know, Justin Trudeau's father was prime minister when he was born, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. So Justin grew up with this life where 
his father was one of the most beloved Canadians who brought was us the though? Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Well, he was he was definitely controversial in Quebec, etc. But basically, he was one of these elite members of society. And Justin got access to important people in Canada. He got access to privileged educational opportunities. His his road was set for him, and he didn't have to rely on his own ability to succeed. So um, I think he's a man of, you know, average abilities, etc. I don't think he's as talented or charismatic or intelligent or thoughtful or insightful as his father was. Um, Unless his father was really Castro. <laughs> well, I, I don't necessarily think Justin Trudeau is a dumb dumb either. Like I would, um, you know, he, he, he's, he's an average decent guy who's a little bit of a spoiled brat who's, who has a huge entitlement issue. I think you uh, use like the you word said. a little bit, a little too much when it's more like a lot. <laughs> well, it's okay if I'm more moderate in my uh, assessment, but basically I think that his value as a prime minister has been realized and to continue him on at this point um, is going to result in diminishing returns. He's not going to be as effective or good as he was already. And how effective he was already is up for debate. Um, yep. <laughs> so the question is, for this election, who do we choose? Um, you have, obviously, Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives are probably the biggest challenger. Uh, then you have uh, Jagmeet Singh with the NDP. And then you have irrelevant parties like the Bloc Québécois and the Greens. So. The Bloc, I would not call them irrelevant. They they actually, as annoying as it is, because of the amount of seats they can get. So uh, maybe explain what the Bloc is for many people who don't know. Because I had, like, I in my class, some of my students asked, like, because they were asking so about the election. Canada relies on a, a proportional representation system. So we have ridings where we send members of parliament into Ottawa to sit in the House of Commons. And from that group, a cabinet is selected and they basically run the country with the oversight of the House. So what the parties do is they put candidates in all the different ridings across the country and you can select the member of that party no matter what riding you're in. So the Bloc Québécois has a different strategy. They are a regional party. They only, run, they only run candidates in Quebec and they only focus on issues of Quebec. They mostly want to support Quebec's nationhood and aren't very interested in what's going on in the rest of Canada for the most part. So they appeal to a certain kind of Quebec nationalist. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, I, I don't think they're, depending on how pissed off Quebecois are with whatever the main party is, they can make or break a majority. So, for example, if everyone in Quebec votes for the Bloc, you're not getting a majority for any party. And I should just give an example. Today that we're recording this is uh, 2021, uh, September 2nd. And I'm just looking at 338. Uh, it's an aggregate polling in Canada that says the Conservative Party is at 33.7% and the Liberal Party is 31.4%. NDP is 20%. Bloc is 6.3%. Green is 4%. And the uh, People's Party of Canada is 
6%. Now, to contextualize this, the bloc has 6.3% of the overall vote according to the polls, but they often end up with 30 to 60 seats in the federal parliament. That's right. right? And this so is the weakness different. of our electoral system, which is that if your support is spread out, if 10% of the electorate across the country supports you, you might win zero seats. Yeah. But for Quebec, they're a regional party, so their support is concentrated. So if they have, if they win certain ridings and they're the party with the most vote in that riding, they get that seat. Yeah. Even if no one else in the country outside of Quebec supports anything that they want. Yeah. The, so the argument, so getting a national coalition government is very rare. Has it ever happened in Canada? A national coalition? What, what do you mean? I, I know about minority well, governments, but what do so you mean? Yeah, so we should specify that. So in Canada, you have the reason why that pollster is 338, because that's the amount of seats member of parliament. So you need what, like 170 seats to hold an absolute majority, um, something like that, or uh, probably less. I forgot. Whatever uh, more than 50% is. Yeah, yeah. You need 50% plus one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what? A to be the, to, to have the government because yeah you need 170 uh, seats to have a majority government and a majority yeah. government in canada means you can basically do what you want it means you can elect a prime minister and a cabinet and they can pass a confidence vote yeah yeah and if yeah. they lose yeah. the confidence of the house then we'll need to call another election yeah so a often what happens is a minority government where a party gets the most seats but doesn't have a majority but the person head of that party is named the Prime Minister of Canada, and they have to work with other parties to get stuff done. Now, Justin in order Trudeau's, to pass those confidence votes, yeah. yeah. In 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 the, Justin Trudeau's first term, he had a majority. Now, I am happy he didn't do more damage when he had the majority, which is like I don't understand why he's being such a dick with his minority. Uh, probably because people are telling him no more often. He doesn't like that. Um, the what can happen though i don't know i not my lifetime is you can get a coalition government this happens in israel all the damn time which is why their politics are so so crazy um let's say there's a theory that even if the conservatives get a strong min minority here that the ndp and the liberals will create a coalition and say no we're forming government now i think if they actually yeah. do that it's going to be well really that's what disruptive. they're doing right that's what they're doing right now. Yeah. But it sounds like what you're suggesting is that the conservatives have the most seats. Yes. Then the liberals and the NDP combined have over 170 and conform government. Uh, well, I think they won't have over 170 this time, but let's say a minority, yeah, a minority government could still be less than 170, but because collectively they have more seats, they could hypothetically go to the governor general and be like, we want to form government as a But coalition. if they don't have enough, if they don't have the 170 votes to pass a confidence measure, they can't pass a budget. They can't form. government. Yes, correct. But that doesn't mean they can't try to do a coalition because in Israel, governments that have coalitions, they do this all the time. Um, and it works out. It doesn't work out because you can still form a coalition with less than the majority of seats. It's just you need a functioning government. Um, but that's why I think that plan is going to fall apart because Canadians aren't familiar with that style of politics. And I think it would divide Canada immensely to do that. Um, but they are suggesting, and Jagmeet Singh of the NDP has suggested that if the Conservatives get a minority, uh, minority government, they're basically going to do absolutely everything. So in theory, what would, how it would actually work in Canada 
is you get a conservative minority and the NDP and uh, liberals combined just keep voting everything down, then the swing vote would be the block, which means it would basically be a dead government, which I am not against if it gets Trudeau out. Because I suspect if he doesn't get in, if he doesn't win again, his party is going to boot him. Because my understanding from the rumblings, this is what's so disturbing about Trudeau, is that his own party outside of his inner circle wants him gone. They want him gone, but there's no real other, like they could do a vote of no confidence and say, we don't support him inside their own party. I don't know why they're not, because from what I'm understanding, the own, most people in the party want him gone. They want him gone because he's well, just, a, he's a child and they don't that's like one of the tensions, him. you know, the, yeah. the prime minister, the leader of the party has control over the party, but yeah. they depend on the support of the party members. So yeah. they can do a little coup within the liberal party and remove him. And the prime minister can change without an election. Yeah. But right now he enjoys the support of the, the party leaders. For so. some strange reason that officially, because I'm hearing unofficially from sources that they don't support him. Well, another thing, would be a another thing that we can address here is that this election is happening in the midst of this pandemic with yes, COVID. Yeah. And th this is placing incredible challenges on society. So I don't want to have a dysfunctional government. I want a government which is strong enough to address the challenges that we face, to collect the data and to enforce the, the rules that they, they come up with. Eh, um, we disagree on that. Um, I personally am happy they called the election because I knew it would sink him. And I don't understand. I really don't. I mean, I do. It's mass hysteria and fear. The issue with holding this election because we've had four provincial elections during the pandemic, during times that it was an even worse and it went just fine. Right. I'm not concerned about the mail-in ballot thing in Canada, like in the States, because we actually have voter ID and extra checks and balances that ensure that you can't double vote or whatever. So people um, comparing the States to Canada really don't understand the difference in the system. Uh, it would be very difficult to screw with the mail-in vote in Canada. But the fear of having an election at this time, I think, is as far as actually having it, I don't think it's warranted. Uh, you could make the argument, as you said, about destabilizing things, but I think we're already going down the route of destabilization. Yeah, actually, regardless of it. That's something Trudeau said when he called the election was that the work environment in Parliament had become dysfunctional and toxic and they needed a new, a new house to, to get things done. So uh, if he says that, I believe him. Yeah, because no one wants to work with him anymore. So in his <laughs> head, he's he's like, it's toxic because you won't do what I want. Well, so so someone is going to get a mandate from the Canadian people, and then that will be authoritative, and they'll be able to form government. We'll with see. That's, because that's even, even when he got a majority government, he's like, I represent the majority of Canadians. It's like, dude, you had like 41% of the vote. No, you do not. Um, see, I'm stuck. I, I don't really want to go with Trudeau. I've, I've never been in his camp. Um, I've... I don't like anything I hear about Aaron O'Toole. Why? What um, don't you like about him? He just, to me, looks like an angrier, dumber Andrew Shear. Why dumber? He's doing a much better campaign. I don't know if that's dumber. Well, that's just how he presents, like when he speaks and answers questions and things. Just because he's doing better than Andrew Shear doesn't mean that he's smarter than him. The that's country true. might just be more ready for a conservative government. 
Well, I think I think conservatives need to stop running religious campaigns people that's what sunk sheer he had no personality and he was very clear about his religious aspects and again as i say if you actually follow conservative leadership votes the largest voting block of the conservative party membership is more libertarian but the established conservatives are traditional old guard right and this is where they're having issues so maxime bernier not this time because maxime bernier is running his own party the pe- People's Party of Canada, which I, I think he made a v- v- huge mistake with the name of that party. Um, it sounds like a communist party. So and I'll get into the politically illiterate in, in a second. But um, when he ran, so two elections ago, when Andrew Scheer won, round one, something like 40 to 45 percent of round one votes went to Maxime Bernier. The rest of the votes were split amongst however many other people, like 10 or 15 other people. For the conservative leadership. For for the conservative leadership. It took them combining all of the other votes together to get rid of him. He lost by 1%. So that told me everything I needed to know, that the largest voting bloc of conservatives are libertarian. This is my contention, and this is the contention with a lot of conservatives, with Aaron O'Toole or people like him, is they are ignoring the fact that the largest voting bloc in their party wants less government and wants them to stop operating in the way that they're operating right and 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 i don't think uh maxime bernier who was a conservative mp i believe he was even a cabinet minister at one point uh said i've had enough of this corruption i'm forming my own party i don't think he'll do very well he may actually pick up a seat for the first time in saskatchewan or manitoba i I honestly think so because they were really pissed about the lockdowns in in those places um, but a lot, a lot of conservatives are saying, please don't vote for him this time because we need to get this person out. Well, that's uh, always the problem with yeah. the right wing. They need to unify, right? But then how do you keep all those elephants in the tent? Yeah. So my heart wants to vote for Bernier. But in my writing, I'm not going to. Now, if I was in a strong conservative or like super strong NDP writing where I know it's a, I'm going to give him that vote for the percentage of it, right? But I'm voting strategically. And that can mean I'm voting for a variety of parties. It doesn't... It doesn't but you're vote. voting to defeat Trudeau's liberals. Correct. However, this, that's how much... I normally don't vote like that, honestly. I, I probably would have voted for Bernie last time, but he didn't have a person in my riding, so I couldn't. Uh, now he's got people in the riding. However, I'm voting strategically. Now, I know people who despise Trudeau, but it's unlikely the conservative is going to get into their writing. So I'm like, you need to vote NDP. And I despise the NDP. But as far as a political platform, as far as a person, I'd probably much rather have Singh in in charge than, than, than Trudeau. But their party platform, I have a problem with. Um, What are your thoughts on the NDP and their platform? The NDP is who I've traditionally voted for. Shocker. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of John Horgan's provincial government here in BC. I think they've done a really uh, awesome job. Shocker, right? Um, and they've shown leadership and good decision-making. So I'm, I'm less optimistic about um, the federal NDP and Jagmeet Singh, but I think that they're... They're an important voice. I wish that they were less ideological and um, right. virtue signaling at times. 
Um, That's and why I they'll wish... never win. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I'm, I'm mostly happy with um, living out here in BC. I don't know how um, how much the federal politics um, really relates to my life as much. <laughs> yeah, and as a general, and actually a good so. Uh... Yeah, so here's the thing about I'll get into the political illiterate thing. People sure. are politically illiterate in Canada. They think they're not, and they look down on Americans and they trash talk American politics and they make all sorts of comments and they don't understand their own goddamn politics. Like right. a lot of people do not know that the provincial BC liberals are not affiliated with the federal liberals. They don't know that. And I don't know. I, are the provincial NDP affiliated with the federal NDP? I actually am not sure. They're officially and formally different. You're correct. Yeah. They're distinct. However, they might have you know people who connect them or ties, or they might hold events together. But technically, they're different and unrelated. Yes. So a lot of people don't know that. They go off the names. People are politically illiterate. A lot of people will also just vote liberal federally because they've been convinced that the other guy is racist which is not true, considering uh, Mr. Prime Minister Blackface a whole bunch of times and Aaron O'Toole did not do that. <laughs> um, although I don't yeah, think that's as big a general, deal as other people think, but I think it's just hypocritical. Okay, but um, regardless of who did and didn't wear blackface, w will the Conservatives show a different approach to leadership around Indigenous issues in Canada? Around uh, COVID, around climate. Well, here the the indigenous thing is an interesting one because what the fuck did Trudeau do for them? Other than actually sitting down and have meetings with them, did he do anything meaningful? Because I don't think so. Right. I I'll be fair to the NDP. If you're native, he, they're probably the party that's going to help you out the most because he's outright said, and I this I agree with him. Build the water because we have uh, dirty water conditions in a lot of native communities. He's just like, just build it. And they're like, but, 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 but the media is like this. He's like, just build it. And I agree. Just build it. What the hell is, what's the problem? Just build it. Right. If you can get communities in Africa to build goddamn clean drinking water wells, how is it wells in Africa where they don't have a lot of things that we have here? How have you not done that? So a lot of natives will vote NDP, I find it highly likely, because I think they are probably the party that will help them the most. However, however, did you catch that? I think it was in Manitoba with Jagmeet Singh and the two native leaders. They're like heads, senior chiefs in the community in Manitoba. Did you, did you see that? I thought it was hilarious. No, I'm not sure what you're referring to. You got to look this up. I just like... I just saw it. I didn't see the video, but it's basically Jagmeet Singh was doing a press conference with two uh, senior chiefs, well-respected uh, native chiefs, unfamiliar with the bands. And they said, we very much like your platform, but we are endorsing this person. And the person they named, I forgot their name, was the liberal candidate. And the reason was because the liberal candidate is native and your candidate is not. So they are endorsing in-group, out-group preference over the policies that would actually help them, which I think is strange. Because the liberals have barely done, other than say, yeah, he sat down with them. Well, uh, I, I like one thing about that story, which is that it highlights the internal divisions uh, within 
the indigenous community and the nuance there. There was never a unified culture of indigenous people in Canada. Um, so these are the internal divisions that have been exploited by, by colonization. Um, yeah. And this is why they're in these fractured bands, which, which have very little power, um, unfortunately. Yeah, which is that that's a whole the native thing is a whole complicated issue. Uh, I think people go too hard on the paint in it in the wrong way, and nothing actually ends up getting done because nobody seems to understand half of what they're yelling at. Um, and there is also you do have to address the corruption among some of the native chiefs, and you want to pretend like that doesn't exist. Uh, you're being delusional. Some of them are. Well, I think really your good. story it just it just highlighted the nuance that they don't yeah. always. Um, present a unified opinion and that there is not, yeah. internal d debate and division and disagreement and that's that's always been there which uh, i think is part of the problem is that federal governments want a one-size-fit-all solution and that's never going to work with the canadian native uh situation and i'm i agree you can't one-size-fit-all stop trying to one-size-fit-all everything all the goddamn time because it's easy for the government and i'll tell you that that's actually why i don't like the provincial ndp because they are very much taking the attitude of do what we say or else. They threw the entire small business community under the bus. And I know this, particularly in the martial arts and fitness industry. When everyone kept telling them, uh, I think during the second lockdown, everyone kept telling them that we can't wear masks in our industry. I'm sorry. Because they'll talk to people like the traditional guys who are like, sure, I can wear masks while I'm doing katas. No problem. But the rest of them are saying, listen, our students' feedback is they don't want to come if they have to wear a mask because it's dangerous. And it is dangerous. And it's hard for people to breathe. And it's hard for people to function. And their response was simply, you know what? This whole thing is getting too complicated for us. You all have to shut down. And they said, are you kidding me? Like, you're not trying to find a solution to this problem. And they basically said, if we can't do a one-size-fits-all we're not solving these problems. So I don't believe they're as strong leaders as you think they are because behind the scenes, what they've shown is when things get challenging, they just say, screw you, we're doing it our way. Or this is too hard, we're doing it But our that's way. what a government is. You know, they, they compromise to an extent and then they but say, they didn't fuck you, we're the government and yeah, we're going to enforce That's not a compromise. Rules. That's not a compromise. Well, you, you compromise as much as you can. And then you say, well, at the end of the day, we have power and you're going to do what we say, right? Yeah, that's the problem, though. I don't call that a compromise. But, but that, that's, that's, what, that's what law is. You say this is the law and it applies to you whether you like it or not. Uh, yeah, well, ordered... we can talk about laws, actually. Yeah. <laughs> if, if a restaurant gets shut down for a health violation, they don't have the option of opening anyway and saying, well, we, we see it differently. And some of our customers agree. No, you've been shut down and the police will kick you out if they have to. Well, so that's the issue with laws. Laws are good and bad. As I said, I think there's too many laws. We need clear, concise, <laughs> clear laws. And if they're not clear and concise, they don't need to be there. Right. You can have I dispute oh. resolution. Well, what do you mean by concise? It should be relatively concise. Yeah, relative, I, like not like civil law where this is the law. I don't believe in this is the law or else because a lot of the times, like we live in common law for a reason. A lot of the times right. laws are created with good intentions and they thought they thought everything through, but they didn't. Exactly. And then okay. when we, we have to apply uh, enforcement, it's like I, I'm tired of hearing that police just enforce the law, they don't interpret the law. Bullshit. 
Otherwise, every time they pulled someone over, they'd give out a ticket every single yeah, time. Yeah, there's, there's discretion that yeah. they, they use to, admit, to do their job. Yeah. So I can say that the in police were not enforcing the lockdowns. They were not. Uh, across the board, they were not. They, would well, they, were enforce... also, they were also instructed, you know, not to really enforce it, not to Which really is, arrest anyone. It's all a Wizard of Oz. This is what I despise about the NDP. They're playing a Wizard of Oz thing. We're well, you don't want this. to come down too heavy-handed. You don't actually want to give anyone a fine for leaving their health region. You just don't want them to leave. You don't want to have to actually charge them hundreds of dollars for it. You just want the police there to tell them, hey, no, go back. Yes, and, and, and we it, don't want to ruin your life any more than that. The Which is reasonable, but to me, it's manipulative. It's convinced. So they're, you know, if we want to go like the hard anti-vaxxers, which, I, you know, I think the hard anti-vaxxers are a little crazy. But the other side of the spectrum of the hard, like, do everything or we're going to all die, you're like insane. Yeah, the I thing is, yeah. up until now, that side the we have to lock down we're all gonna die which is not even close to scientific reality or even health reality we're the loudest most obnoxious group and they they are listening to whoever yells at them the most this is not strong leadership you need to tell these people on both sides hey for some people the vaccines are good shut up on the other side you need to say no lockdowns are not the answer you you are you having anxiety issues you need to go see a therapist but they're not doing that and they're, they're playing this silly Wizard of Oz thing where it's like, look at us. The first wave, what the fuck did Bonnie Henry do? Can you please explain to me other than them acknowledging there's a pandemic and, hey, this is bad. We should do something. I don't know what they did. What did they do? In terms of making Any... orders and restrictions on transmission? I don't think they did much. They were fully on board with Trudeau's dumbass idea. We shouldn't shut down the airports or limit travel or test because of racism. They were fully behind that crap, which was a disaster in every country that pulled that shit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That, that was a bit of virtue signaling. But on the other hand, it is a major step to be closing down international trade and travel. And I can understand the hesitation to do that. It's such an abnormal thing. Um, of course, our testing borders are open. Right? Implement testing. At a minimum, which they didn't even do. If, if, if I was a provincial government and I, and, and I take the stance that Bonnie and Horgan do, which they're so behind this whole thing, I, think I'll, I, I do think that some of this stuff is fabrication and fear-mongering. Uh, and I can explain why. Um, but they, they had the authority to say, listen, we can't shut this stuff down because that's a federal thing. But what we can do is we want to implement testing coming in and out of this province. You... It, whatever like i'm not saying how specifically to do it but they definitely needed to do that and they didn't uh, and um, fair enough however yeah. when we step back and we say overall i think the provincial government in bc has managed one as one of the best provinces especially considering that we're the province with a port on the pacific ocean directly to asia so we're the first port for for people coming in a lot of the time and um, our case numbers have been relatively good. I, I'll, tell you why, I'll tell you why I disagree with that sure. sentiment. Okay. I don't think it's anything to do with what they did. I think it's to do with the large Chinese community in Metro Vancouver that they, China is where this thing came from. And I'm fairly 99% sure it came from that lab based on all available evidence I've seen. 
that community was terrified. Even before any provincial mandates, they kind of hunkered down themselves. They were closing their own businesses and hunkering down. And obviously, if nobody's moving around that would have been exposed to this virus early on, you're not going to see transmission. Lockdowns aren't the answer so, because all you need is one person to show up with the virus well, exactly. and right up. And that's actually such a, that's a great point because it's so much more important to have a population who is voluntarily taking their own measures, preemptively locking down, wearing masks, whatever. They're obviously concerned about this. And then on the other hand, you have segments of society which says, I don't care if I get it. I don't care if it kills me. I don't want to wear a mask. I, I just want to live my life well, we and leave me alone. We can talk about masks too. Um, the reason why the second or third wave was so bad here, well, I, I don't think it's that bad, is the, the, the next hotspot was India, right? And that community is less going to lock themselves down. And they live in like multi-generational homes with grandma and grandpa. Why I think the government didn't do shit is because the old folks home situation if i was in charge i would have said okay we need to figure out a way to keep employees there to take care of these individuals how do we do that i would have set up out of all long-term care homes temporary residents like uh, portables and stuff and said hey listen to the staff you need to come in we're going to pay we're going to cover the costs of the government we're going to pay for you to come in test stay here you test negative you can go to work, but you have to stay here for a week and do a cycle. That way you can somehow, I don't know the exact way to do it, but. So you're going to keep the work, the aid workers in quarantine, basically? Yes, but you cycle them out so they can go home to their families, right? Instead of shutting everything down, the, and I, I say the age 40 and under to be conservative, but I, you could probably even say 50 or 60 or under didn't need to worry too much about this virus at least the original strain and actually at least at first right at yeah. first yeah but even the delta variant is nothing i, I they need to stop fear-mongering people um it's not nothing when i say it, but it's not what they're telling us it is okay you, um, you think the threat is being exaggerated based yes. on the deaths yes. to infections well in bc they kept saying, oh, if the infection rate goes up, uh, the death rate is going to go up. But that's not actually true because it was disproportionately affecting very specific groups of people and for very known reasons, age, comorbidities. Now, why certain ethnic groups get hit hard? If we're not talking about nutrition and health to do with these certain ethnic groups, you're lying. Um, so in BC, 80% or 90% of deaths were people over 70, 90% for sure over 70, and 80% total is probably over 80. So they were they're not representing the data and the threat in a real realistic manner. I genuinely believe corruption, global corruption, and, and governments having a tendency not wanting to admit they underreacted at the start, then completely overreacted, and have completely cocked up every stage of this thing. Every single thing they have said has turned out to be wrong. And yet, we still listen to these people. Why? It's because of scientific and political illiteracy amongst the general public. Some ethnic groups, and I'm not going to name them, but we all know them, are more willing to listen to authoritative figures without question because it's their culture. Some will kind of not, will listen publicly, but behind scenes will be like, eh, it's corrupt. You know, other groups are, don't trust their politicians at all. Ethnic groups because of their history and their culture. And we don't like to talk about this because people always talk about racism, this, this, and that. 
What the actual scientific literature is saying is not matching up to policy, is not matching up to fear, is not matching up to the response. When people on the left and the right uh, of all political spectrums are, have been saying all year long, something's not right here. Things don't look right. You're seeing doctors, doctors and researchers and epidemiologists and virologists being censored and being taken out of context. We have a problem here. But if you, the, it's a strategy, a known strategy that if you scream loud enough for long enough, you can convince people of things. And then when we can't convince them, we start coercion, which is, I think the passports are coercion. And I do believe they are a violation of our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, whether the courts agree or not. But they are right. using coercion. It's coercion. You're using well, public um... perception and bullying to coerce people. And... They say, oh, consult your doctor. But the doctors are being bullied. They're being told they, in Canada they'll lose their medical license if they don't actually give for their patient, hey, I've talked to my patient. I think this is the best choice for you. No, they're being told you need to say take the vaccine or else. I'm sorry, how is that best care for patients? I'm not really sure. Well, let's let's take a little break. I, I need a I need a couple of minutes here. And then when we come back, let's talk about the vaccines and passports and uh maybe the lab oh yeah sure okay i'll pause okay i totally okay, forgot so maybe, where we were yeah well uh, i have a few points to make so maybe uh you can start by telling me what you mean by the provincial government acting like the wizard of oz so bc culture a lot of people just don't want to get it in their heads there's what people say and what people do it's a very distinct thing. That's why a lot of people have trouble here because it doesn't matter what people say. It's what are they doing versus somewhere like Alberta. It's like, here's the rules. Fuck you. Right. So I feel that this government is misleading the public with the representation of data and convincing people of things that are patently false with the representative data. How much taxpayer money have they used paying the daily hive to push their narrative? The narrative so you're being, making pretty big claims here. You're yes. saying the government is misleading the population. Yes. Now, will for, they be able to hold reason? up? And, here's why. So will they be able to defend themselves in court? Yes, because they're very tricky in how they're doing it. Um, they, I've talked to people who genuinely believe that the unvaccinated are the only ones capable of spreading this virus, which is false. According to ev all the data from every other countries in the world. So Canada and the Democrats are misrepresenting scientific literature just 100%. In what way? By making claims that it's the, only the unvaccinated are the problem. That's not well, true. Did they claim that? They're not, but it's how they're presenting the information. They're saying, and actually Bonnie Henry recently said that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Well, then you find out things like, well, first of all, the PCR testing is a fucking disaster because you'll test positive if you have the cold, the flu, or COVID-19, and you can say they did this because it was an overly cautious way to catch all illness. That's fine, but then you can't go say there's no such thing as the flu in BC anymore, which Bonnie Henry said, and people believed that, and it's false. If your testing methodology is saying every, it's just testing positive for a coronavirus, which includes the cold and flu, you are misrepresenting the material facts of what's going on. I know so people. Your complaints can be categorized into 
the assertion that they're um, over-representing the efficacy of the vaccine? Uh, sort of. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about oh, okay. they're misrepresenting data wholeheartedly to create a narrative of fear. So, again, if we actually break down the data of who's dying, it's not debatable. For the most part, it's the elderly. And for the most part, it's the unhealthy. Can we please talk about obesity? They don't want to. They don't want to talk about health and wellness. This was a, I've said it so many times, uh, this was the chance to talk about health and wellness in our society. And Vancouver is a pretty healthy city, which is another factor why we did so well. People are healthier here on a whole. Um, and then they're taking the data and collating, averaging it out and presenting it as an average rather than who's actually. And so I was listening to uh, someone, a podcast the other day, and he said, Normally, when people die, the news always says such and such male, female, age, job, and you're not seeing it now. They're just saying we have 10,000 people dying. Why would you use the infection rate when that's not the threat? Yes, there is a correlation between infection rate and hospitalization. That's not that's a thing. But if you're like, oh, we have 10,000 infected, but only 200 people are in the hospital. They're doing something to protect the system, not the public health. And that also talks, I mean, you can say, don't worry about it right now, but our system is in jeopardy, even without COVID. They have a problem. It's being mismanaged. Our systems are not designed to handle catastrophic events. They're barely able to handle normal events. Right. Um, and it's a, what I am getting out of this is that our systems are failing and they're doing absolutely everything they can to make it look like the system is not failing. So much so that they're willing to incite one group of people against another. In this case, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. It is not correct to ins even insinuate that only the unvaccinated are spreading this virus. That is false. The data coming out of Israel and other places is saying, actually, oops, the vaccines don't have the kind of long, long protection that we thought they would. So what, um, is, the, what is our conclusion about the the difference between people who have taken the vaccine and haven't. If you're an at-risk individual, you should go get the vaccine because your body is not going to have the ability. That it's a higher probability chance, like more of a 5% chance. If you're elderly over 70, you should definitely go get it. I encourage my parents to go get it. But to sit here and say, based on what we know now, everyone has to get it or else is dangerous because so it's not have you been vaccinated i'm not going to disclose that publicly oh, however okay. i am against right. i am against i'm against the mandates 100 i even on facebook called them nazis and a bunch of jews got mad at me but then a bunch of other jews defended me because people emotionally so will automatically assume if you call someone a nazi they are committing genocide no it's a political ideology and approach to doing something. Hitler's Nazis, yes, committed genocide. However, if I'd said communist in my comment, nobody would have got mad at me. But factually, even today, people espousing communist ideology, China, North Korea, have death camps. Well, it's, it's the issue of like extreme language, right? Like if I'm trying to talk to you and I keep calling you a liar, you're, you're not going to want to talk to me, right? Because I'm just showing you so much disrespect and bad faith.
Yeah, I understand. I used the word Nazi because I knew it would be inflammatory. I purposely did that. I normally, I don't go around calling people Nazis. Like, I wouldn't even call Trudeau a Nazi. However, I, I Especially prefer the, as a Jewish person with some yes. knowledge of that history. I, but I don't care. I think people misunderstand, right? Just because you don't like someone, they're not a Nazi. That was what the left was doing. What well, is a Nazi or authoritarian? If you want to be nice about it, I could call them communists, but a lot of these people support communism. Authoritarian. Anyone who starts to act in a way that's do what I say or else is ultimately doing what Hitler did at the beginning. And they can say, well, there's no genocide. There's no camps. What are you talking about? But it's the pattern of behavior that leads that. Why does it lead to that? Because if you incite misinformation amongst the public, which the governments are doing, 100% with the media's help, you can get a majority of the public to believe insane shit to say it's okay to put unvaccinated in camps. So it sounds like one of the big differences between us is that you hold the opinion that the government is deliberately and willfully misleading the public with that data. Yes. And, and I say that they're not presenting the full picture, but that doesn't mean that they're deliberately misleading. I think yeah, that's the, a yeah. It comes down to the political illiterate thing. Most people don't know how to read data. My question always is, okay, what do you, how are you measuring this data? Uh, I want more data. If you w watch the Daily Hive, they'll show this percentage of unvaccinated, this percentage of partially vaccinated, this percentage of vaccinated, and they have huge, huge numbers unvaccinated. Why aren't you showing the ages? That's misrepresentative data because now you're creating a generalized average fear when it's still the same case that it's the elderly and it's the elderly and individuals who are unhealthy that are coming out of the woodwork now that are getting exposed to the vaccine. They've also stopped talking about herd immunity. They've also stopped talking about natural immunity, which are factual things. This isn't debatable. These exist. As soon as that vaccine came out, they stopped talking about it. Why? Because earlier on in the year, there were experts saying we don't actually think that we need a 95% herd immunity for this virus because it's a coronavirus. And because un under, let's say, I'll be nice to be considered under 40, you're probably actually more likely to have issues taking medication than getting coronavirus. Now, you shouldn't intentionally go get it. That's moronic. But the data suggests contrary to what the messaging is. And I know young people who believe their lives are, in, are still in danger. And I'm like, no. There's a lot of healthy people that didn't obey the lockdowns and they were fine. There's a lot of industries that didn't obey the lockdowns and they were fine. If you still look at the data, it's still the age, the, the unhealthy and the elderly. The, and here's the thing. Yes, can I go cherry pick? an example of a young person who died of coronavirus. Sure. And that's called genetic variability. This applies across the board to, to uh, pharmaceuticals or just life. Some people, unfortunately, drew a genetic lottery, which means for whatever reason, they're screwed. But what the media will do and what the government will push is, oh, you see, a young person can die. Yes, because I don't believe in zeroism and absolutism. That's insanity. Of course, anyone can die from anything, but it's weighing the average, the, the, not the average, weighing the numbers. The chance, mm -hmm. I'm more likely to get hit by a goddamn car in Richmond than I am to die of COVID, probably. Like, I'm not going to do the math of the statistics, but just as like a danger level, 
if I'm walking around in a parking yeah. lot in, in Richmond, I'm probably more likely to get hospitalized than if I got right. COVID. The relevant information is not that some young person died. The relevant information is what is the risk to me? Yes, correct. And they've, they, they factually have blatantly misrepresented this data and continue to do it. Because when I talk to people and they say, oh, here's, an, here's a fun one. I, I, it's hard to know in BC because they're not, this is actually everyone, even Health Canada got mad at BC because BC doesn't want to release the complete data. Because if it shows that a particular ethnic group is the high rate right now, that would be racist. So we don't want to release the data. That's actually kind of what they well, say. It wouldn't be racist, but it would give fuel to people. Who yes, would which you have to shut narrative. down. You have to yeah. shut that down, obviously. Well, you don't no, no, have no. to, but they're choosing to. No, but I mean, it's coming from China. It's coming from India. It's a region thing, not an ethnic thing. If you make this ethnic thing, that is a hate crime. Period. Well, yeah, and you don't want people to draw that interpretation, right? But you don't want I'm them to assault saying, their neighbors. And but this kind of yeah, thing. it's correct, which anyone who does should be arrested and charged the fullest you know, of the law, 100%. But now you're misleading the public in another way. Now you've created a fear machine of people who genuinely don't understand. Yeah, so by trying to solve one problem, you're creating a new problem. A, a, a much more dangerous problem. Yeah, because this is the, the law. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, the racist thing is an obvious thing. Hey, that person did a hate crime. The dangerous problem is that slippery slope down to the path that we end up in a Hitler or a Mao or a Stalin situation. Now, people are like, that's too extreme. But it's like, listen, they didn't, it didn't happen overnight. It happened because the public or the, their group convinced enough people that this was the way. And then when they got the momentum, they went after the other, if that makes sense. He just walked off for a second. <laughs> Uh, oh, I know. I forgot to say. Here's an interesting statistical thing. Again, because BC is being misrepresentative, I, I'm assuming they're doing the same in BC, but I don't. I'm, I, I got it out of uh, Health Ontario. If you get the vaccine, and then I do a PCR test, which is the standard testing, and you are in the hospital within 14 days, and you test positive, they will mark that as an unvaccinated case even though they're clearly in the hospital as a result of the vaccine now again you can get any vaccine and get sick afterward this is often how they work that's a normal thing but that is mis material misrepresentation of the facts they're in the hospital because they got the vaccine most people who go to the hospital are usually okay i know three people who are going to have serious long-term effects as a result of the vaccine period they got oh, wow. the heart thing uh, in Japan, they've ceased Moderna vaccination because they ran into contaminated vials. They've ceased it. In Japan, the head of the doctor's association, I don't know how it works there, not the head of the government official, was saying, I'm going to try Avermectin because I'm getting promising results. The world media said, but he's not the head. He's not the official government health official. He's just the head of the doctor's association or whatever he is. Because the case for that is it's not going to kill people giving them this unless you overdose. Don't do it on your own like that idiot in the States that everyone's focusing on because that's stupid. Um, but you're misrepresenting why people are in the hospital now. You're misrepresenting the injury. Now, if you're young, healthy, actually under 30, you're probably safer surviving covid than the vaccine because most of the people i know who are hospitalized are younger and they are finding out that 
people who are younger are more likely to have issues with the vaccine. And the reason you're is- su You're suggesting that the, the vaccine is a greater danger for people under 30 than COVID? No, but I'm say I would say it's probably about the same. So if it's about the same, then why should someone be forced to take it? Well, that's at a risk question. level. Is yeah. is it about the same? Is it that what the science is telling I, us? I don't know because I I think data is being manipulated. But I, just from what I've seen, I'm like I think the risk is the same. If I'm under thirty, I I think the risk is the same. And you're probably about thirty, eh? I'm thirty four. Yeah, right now. The other thing they'll say, well, these things would have shown up in our extensive testing. Okay, well, they only used healthy people for their testing, right? The other thing is a lot of young people are undiagnosed with stuff because our medical system is not a preventative medical system. It's a reactionary medical system. So a lot of, quote, healthy people that are labeled as healthy were not healthy. They had something they didn't know about because our system has failed us. Now, in the States, you can say, oh, we can get in the whole argument about the healthcare system. We're in Canada, guys. What the fuck? Why do people not know about ailments that they should know about? Because we don't have a preventative approach to healthcare. Um, and, oh, the ivermectin thing is interesting because once you understand how the FDA works, the arguments against even trying to look into it seriously fall apart. And it's because... Once, first of all, 70 or 80% of the funding for the FDA comes from the pharmaceutical companies, which actually is not as bad as it sounds. It's because, hey, you want us to approve your drug, you need to pay for the funding. However, that's going to lead to corruption. If I want my system to keep running, I need my income to keep coming in. Therefore, where do I get it from? My pharmaceutical company. So they don't really look into, they do sometimes, but they don't really look into the data collected by the pharmaceutical companies. They're just like, yeah, it meets our standards, cool. They don't actually really peer review it a lot of the time. And the other thing that people don't know about a lot of FDA regulations is once they've approved the drug for something, they're not changing the definition. So an example of where this is confusing to people is modafinil. Uh, it is on label for narcolepsy yet doctors all over the u.s and canada will prescribe it for adhd and will uh, uh, prescribe it for other stuff because they know it works and as long as you're not overdosing you're fine so ivermectin is lab labeled as a horse thing they have blocked at most serious attempts any serious investigation into its use anecdotally several countries poorer countries have used it quite successfully, anecdotally, but because they don't have a study, they throw it out, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, Mexico, Argentina, Japan is now trying it out. But the, the media and the global narrative is you ha the only solution out of this is the vaccine. Well, the data is saying, no, that's not true. The way out well, of this is drug ivermectin, which is like a, a sheep dewormer or something. A uh, horse. Uh, uh, as per the FDA, that's what it's for. But it's been okay. used. It's an antiparasitic. And, right. And Again, where is this information coming from that it might be useful against COVID? In a lot of people. There was a person on Joe Rogan, uh, Brett Weinstein, and another doctor, an actual expert on this shit, saying they used it and it helped. So here's the thing. Again, misleading language. If you make the statement saying ivermectin is a cure, that's false. It's, it's false. If you say that ivermectin has been used in countries as a means to prevent severe uh, symptoms as a prophylactic after someone's got COVID, then that is closer to the truth. So 
here's the thing. What was the original goal? We need to protect the hospitals. We don't need, if our hospitals get overwhelmed and we shut down, everyone's screwed. That's a fair, reasonable, rational thing to say. Well, if that's your goal, and that technically is still the goal, but it's not really, then anything that is reasonably safe to take and can reduce hospital stays and severe symptoms should be looked at. Now, I love well, if, if the risk that it prevents correct. is greater than the risk it introduces. Ivermectin has been used in humans for over 50 years for a variety of off-label things. That's why it, people are pushing for it, because we know in humans and in children, it can be used. They're pushing a legal argument of FDA has approved it as a horse dewormer. Well, what did I say about the FDA? And people can look into this. Once they've labeled something as something, they don't change it ever or almost ever. But that doesn't mean that it can't get approved for an additional use. No, that just means they can't say, hey, doctors have used this for off-label and it's fine. But technically, if you have an over-litigious lawyer for the government who's saying you're using this drug off-label, you could get sued. But say modafinil, the, the IT people in Silicon Valley pop that shit like candy. Tim wow. Ferriss was on it, like taking it as a performance-enhancing drug because it works as a performance-enhancing drug. Truckers wow. used to take it as a performing enhancing drug. What's it listed as? It's only for narcolepsy. And yet doctors are allowed to prescribe this for other stuff because it works. And they have not changed the designation in the FDA. What's the name of that one? Uh, modafinil. There was an original. There used to be something else, but it was too strong. So they, they, they pared it down to modafinil. Uh, I know people on it here for ADHD, by the way. And that's not its on-label use. That's why doctors are very hesitant to prescribe off-label in Canada because they are fully at the mercy of the Doctors Association in Canada, while as in the States, they're not as much. If you're a private doctor, as long as you're not negligent and you actually consult with your patient and learn their history, you can give, it's more common to give off-label stuff. Um, but you see how complicated this is. The governments are making it black and white. And even people who are like the pro-super science camp, listen to the experts, who I think are acting like a bunch of psycho-cultists. In order to understand why something is wrong here, you need to understand so much about how the world works in order to realize what's wrong with it. And even I see the look on his face, Aaron's face. He's like, oh, I didn't know this. You can, you can look it all up. You know, it, it'll be hard to look up a lot of it. Don't use Google, use DuckDuckGo. But with DuckDuckGo, you have to ask very specific, clear questions because it doesn't aggregate the data like Google does. But Google will, will censor information. I first found out about ivermectin because an India doctor was talking about it. And, and what a lot of people don't know is they were... My understanding was in India, the government was sending to people in, in the mail uh, packets with ivermectin, vitamin D, vitamin C, and some other stuff and saying, here, take this. And they were using it. And as soon as the vaccines became available, they banned it. And all of a sudden, a spike went up in India. And I find that it's very suspicious. I'm not saying correlation equals causation, but it's very weird that India was doing just fine. And all of a sudden... The WHO gets involved and global politics gets involved. And there was, there's actually a legal battle, I believe, in India between doctors' associations and the government regarding this. And all of a sudden, you saw a massive spike in COVID cases. Okay. Well, we'll take that on. But um, one thing that you, you brought up, which is quite interesting, and you said hasn't been getting enough attention, is how a holistic approach to health yes. um, is your best defense against COVID. Do you want to talk more about that for a bit? Sure. If you're under a, 
clarifying under a certain age. If if you're elderly, the, the chances of you fixing this, you can't. What are you gonna do, right? So yes, you know, like I I told my parents, I, I I was following the research and told my parents, you know, early on, I said, hey, listen, you should get vaccinated, but don't take the other two, the AstraZeneca one, because they're on all sorts of some certain medications. I'm like, that that's a complication you do not need. Right. And they said, OK. And they said they looked at it, listened to me and said I'm, they refused to get those other ones, even when the government was saying they're they're fine. Here's another the sort of off topic. Bonnie Henry, in my opinion, has com committed medical malpractice when she did stuff like, um, hey, guys, it's totally safe to mix the vaccine, said no other country in the world or the data. Why is she saying that? I want to know why did she come to that conclusion? Because she's not sharing it. But I know people, I told them, don't do this. It's not medically, even scientifically proven that it's safe. Now, for the people that mix the vaccines that I know, I'm happy they're healthy and fine. It's great. But they're like, I should have listened to you, John, because now I can't travel to countries because other countries don't recognize this as an immunity. And it's like that to me, that's medical malpractice that she was pushing that. She did it out of panic, not out of ethical science. Now, the holistic thing. People say, trust your doctor, consult your doctor. I, want, I tell a story a lot. Well, actually, both me and my wife have had negative experiences with the medical system. Uh, I know tons of people who have had negative experiences. I went to the doctor. I was on keto because I'm trying, like, I'm trying out keto. Are you familiar with keto? Yes, he's nodding. Yes, yeah, as he's yeah where you, um, you basically don't eat any carbs, right? You, you do, but it's low. That's a misnomer. It's low carbs. So you don't eat like pasta. You, can, you have vegetables, just lower. Uh, like I can't do extreme, like extreme keto, I cannot do. You can actually compensate to get the autophagy that you want. You just compensate for having uh, some carbs in your diet, like vegetables, by going uh, intermittent fasting. Um, but it, it, it's a known fact with keto, your uh, LDL cholesterol will go up. It's a known fact. People have proven it's not a health risk if your LDL cholesterol is high. I, I went to the doctor. It's, it's more to do, I forgot the details, but it's a ratio of LDL to another type of cholesterol. And if that ratio is too high, that is actually an indicator that you have clogged arteries, not a high LDL cholesterol. Yeah. The LDL but, to the HDL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is low density and yeah. high density yeah. um, cholesterol. Yeah. Yes, correct. So. Uh, I go to the doctor. I said, hey, uh, I'm the first time I'm really strictly following this diet. Uh, I'm telling you now I will have high LDL cholesterol. As long as everything else is fine, like, don't worry about it. Do the blood work. Frantic phone call. You need to come in. We need to discuss this. Go in. I'm like, what's the problem? He's like, you have high LDL cholesterol. I'm like, yeah, and is anything else wrong? He's like, you need to go on statins. And I'm like dude, I'm like 32. Are you on crack? Like, are you out of your mind? And, and statins are a cholesterol reducing drug, which for some people, it's very necessary, but they prescribe statins like fucking candy. And now we're finding out that people taking statins that really don't need to are having more complications and health issues. It screws up certain, I, I, I've listened to several podcasts from actual experts on this. It screws things up if you don't need to be on them. Uh, and I said, I am not going on. And I lectured him like how this is bad medical advice you're giving me. And he actually admitted to me, I'm sorry, you, you may or may not be right, but I have to recommend this based on what the Canadian Doctors Association said. I'm like, so what you're admitting is that the Canadian Doctors Associations are about 10 to 15 years behind in their medical advice. Then my wife, which I've talked to about, had a severe back problem.
Now, she's exceptionally stoic. So she'll go in and be like, oh, I'm fine. Like, they're like, on a scale of one to 10, like, how bad is your pain? She'll be like, I'm a two. But the reality is she was miserable because she was in pain. She couldn't sleep, other stuff. Uh, she met me, and I said, wait, have you had any kind of scans done of your back? And it's no. And eventually I convinced her, and she convinced the doctor. They come back and like, holy shit, how have you been walking around like this? Your back is like that of an 80-year-old. And the reason is doctors... This is the negative aspect of a socialized healthcare system. They have limited time, resources, and money, and their incentives are incorrect. And so when they see a young person coming in saying, I'm in pain, that's not, quote, acting like they're in pain, they ignore it. If we hadn't caught it in time, she would have been crippled. We ended up changing her entire lifestyle, changing diets to reduce inflammation. She's extremely insensitive to inflammation. Diet is a huge factor. And... She thinks not, but I do think so. We took her down to uh, Utah and had stem cell uh, injections done at her expense, which is why, oh, if we go private in Canada, the people with money will blah, blah, blah. blah. No, people with money are already going to private healthcare because it's better. We can get into that later. There's, there's ways to do it correctly and there's ways not to do it correctly. The refusal to discuss the problems in the socialized healthcare system is, is why we're having problems. I'm sorry. You want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on some other country? Take that money and buy more MRIs so you can diagnose people more rapidly, you dickheads. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, I did a podcast with another student of mine. Uh, I forgot what he said he had. He's got some nerve fibromyalgia, I think he said he had. He said the same damn thing. He said years and years of working with the doctors and because they don't want to do the testing because he's young and healthy and fit. But he's like, I was in pain. I was miserable. And he, he's, you know, I forget, there's a few podcasts, the Quinn podcast, and he's just like, if you have any kind of pain or soft tissue or chronic issue that isn't a major big five heart attack, like, okay, our medical system, great. If I break my bone, I can go to the hospital. No problem. Great. And they'll do a reasonably good job. If I have a heart attack, they'll solve that problem. No problem. Great. Our healthcare system is wonderful at acute things or, or common things. Anything that requires any kind of real diagnosis, it is failing people. Anything that requires a scan for proper diagnosis, it is failing people. And actually, I know a lot of really good doctors who are just walking away. That's why well, one, two reasons that there's a doctor shortage in Canada. The good ones are walking away either because they're tired of the corruption in the system because they can't really help people. Some of them go to the private, some just retire. Uh, the other thing, my understanding is that it's actually the doctor's association that keeps blocking nurse practitioners or other doctors from other Western countries. I'm not talking from some country with questionable medical practice. I'm talking, you're telling me a doctor from Israel or Germany or South Korea can't do some sort of just ethics thing and then in, uh, do a residency and then pass a test, a competency test and become a doctor. No, you want them to go through four years of medical school? That makes no sense. A German doctor, on average, is probably way better than a Canadian doctor because of how their system allows them to actually do focus on, okay, my patient needs something different than what the other person needs. They don't allow that in Canada. It's too rigid. And, and that's why our system is going to fail in Canada if they don't change it and, and grow up and take their heads out of their asses and allow some level of private. And by the way, there is already private healthcare in Canada. People just don't know it's there. So you know. for um, people out there who 
are concerned about the vaccine and uh, concerned about COVID, or, or maybe they've gotten the vaccine, what are the um, best things that they can do to bolster their health and ensure that they are going to remain strong and survive if they, yeah. they do contract the virus? So, you know, again, I'm not a, people are going to be like, John, you're not a doctor. I, okay. I don't understand. So you're telling me, yes, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a designation, but I can go on a podcast and listen to the doctors who did the research, not fucking Bonnie Henry, who's like a tertiary goddamn source. And then I, while there is some degree of broken telephone, I am not getting everything correct because the level of detail some of these people go into is too much for me. If it's too much for me, though, that means it's way over the heads of most people. I'm, I, I, if that sounds arrogant, then I don't give a fuck. But most people I've talked to said, I don't understand. I'm not reading it. It makes no sense to me. Okay, well, here's the problem. Now they believe Bonnie Henry, who didn't do the fucking research herself, who's broken telephoning this shit. So how do we fix our health? Well, first of all, COVID aside, uh, one of the best quotes I heard this year, unrelated, was what were people saying about something before the controversy? Because that's probably closer to the truth. So let's talk general health unrelated to the pandemic. Stop eating processed foods. Bread as a source of carbohydrates needs to stop. If you are going to eat bread, make sure it's homemade bread, preferably sourdough. If you're going to drink milk, Stop drinking 1% or 2%. You're drinking sugar water. You're spiking your insulin. Uh, the, our food industry is corrupt. Uh, if you, I drink uh, buffalo milk. It's like very fatty milk because it's unprocessed. The issue isn't drinking milk. It's how it's been processed. Uh, and I drink it in my coffee. I don't drink it like on its own. Uh, since I've cut out other refined dairy in my diet, I feel much better. Like I'll tell you. And, and you can eat unhealthy sometimes. You need for mental health. It's fine. Like I had a pizza the other day because I was just, you know, I'm, I'm feeling depressed right now. I'm feeling anxious in the last two weeks. And I'm like, you know what? I'm watching the UFC. I'm going to have a pizza. Well, I generally eat very clean. And I'm very in tune with my body. And I can tell you that I had a compromised immune system for the next three days. I could feel it physically because I'm in tune with my body. And it... It only occurred to me this week that that's what it was. And I'm like, this has actually happened to me a couple times this year. Is I cleaned up my diet so much that my body now rejects highly processed food. I'll still have pizza once in a while, but I need to limit it to like a couple of slices, not like a whole pizza. Like every three to six months, whatever. But I'm noticing when you get your body dialed in and you eat this processed stuff, it dramatically affects your immune system. So that if I was affected during that time, uh, I'm going to get hit harder. Which, by the way, the lockdowns made things worse from that perspective. Stress and lack of sleep, because so many people who drive into anxiety due to social isolation, caused a lot more health problems. In the province of British Columbia, more people committed suicide or died of overdose than were died of COVID. We're not talking about this enough. Because of the policies, the lockdown policies, which, again, initially it made sense. They only work with a coronavirus. They'll only work if you lock down the entire world all at once, which is never going to happen, which is, by the way, what epidemiologists and virologists were saying at the start and are continuing to say and they're being ignored. So you have to get change your diet. Stop eating processed food. Now, whether you're a vegan, whether you're a carnivore, you have to figure it out for yourself. Most people will be in the middle somewhere where they need to eat some sort of mix. You also need to consider your genetic background. And people don't want to talk about this because the whole scared of racism thing. Like if you're Asian, telling them to stop eating rice outright is 
I mean, they can probably still handle a little bit rice. Better advice might be, hey, cut back the rice. But telling them to stop outright, they'll be healthier is ridiculous. Now, corn. You know who the only people who are genetically capable of eating corn without major problems? Natives and Central and South America's Western genetics is not adapted to corn, yet corn is in everything. Corn syrup is a disaster for, for Western health. And in, even worse for the African-American community. That's why African-American community in America has a much higher rate of colon cancer by a long shot than the African community in, in uh, Africa. It's, it's the, the food that their genetics can't, can't eat. So you do have to realize, like, I'm, a, I'm Eastern European, Jewish, but Eastern European. I need meat in my diet. I've, I've tried to cut meat. I, I went on a, a fish-only, no-red-meat diet. It was like an extreme, and I, like, could not. I could not. My body was shutting down. And I've concluded, for me, I need uh, to eat meat. I have to have some kind of red meat at least once a week. My body just does not. It's not optimal. Uh, other people might be, say you go vegan. Now, we have to be careful with, with the people misassociate elimination. Eliminating bad foods to the success of their diet. So if you're eating junk food and you go vegan, well, by going vegan, you're eliminating processed foods most of the time. By going carnivore diet, you're eliminating processed foods most of the time. You have to be sure beyond a reasonable doubt that the reason you're getting the benefits of this diet is the diet itself and not the elimination. For most people in that middle of that bell curve, it's because they eliminated bad foods. Uh, again, if you're a 10th generation Hindu who's been vegan for 10 generations, I'm like, you know what, for them, they will probably have a hard time eating meat. No one's really tested it on mass because, you know, the religious aspect, but it's probable they'll, they will have a trouble with meat, with, with red meat. But if you've been eating meat for your... I know a lot of Europeans who go vegan and they're anemic almost within a month or so because their genetics can't handle it. So, one, processed foods out the window. Sugar is okay once in a while. No, you should not be eating fruits every damn day because that is still sugar. Our bodies genetically are not designed for sugar every day. That kind of sugar. The reason why we like sweets and are drawn to sweets, and there is an addictive nature towards sweets, is because it's a high energy output per calorie. And so when we found it in nature back in the day, our bodies created a system, a reward system chemically, to say, you need to find this stuff. Because if we go three days without food, you, need, you, you get this stuff, but now it's readily available, we have a problem. So, and, and from a psychological perspective, cheat days are fine. Once a week. It doesn't mean you just make up for the rest of the week by having 10,000 calories of junk food. But, you know, for, for mental health, it's fine. Like, I, you know, I had a pizza, but I'm, I, say, I know every time I do that, I'm going to regret it because I dialed in my body. I'm not optimal, optimal because I'm kind of lazy, but I'm cleaner than I used to be. Right. And so, so you, you measure yourself against your past and you see yes. progress. Yeah, my past, my body, right? Yeah. Not other people's. That's why people who get into any particular diet... Now, let's say the carnivore diet, like Jordan Peterson's heavy on it, but it actually seems that people with severe autoimmune uh, issues do really well on a carnivore diet, which is mostly meat. And the reason is there's more plants that are toxic to the human body. Even if it's a subtle toxicity, some bodies, some genetics are very sensitive to that. And your body has to do a lot more to process it. So a lot of people with autoimmune seem to do well on a meat, uh, high meat diet, high fat diet. They do, they do much better. A lot of their problems go away. Um, because there are toxicities in plants. And, and certain things, if you don't know, you can eat them, but you need to prepare them properly in the plant plant uh, thing. And we're not taught this. 
like I believe uh, legumes or something. I'm probably screwing it up. Lentils, something like that. One of those things like you, you have to soak them in order to deal with the natural toxins that are in that body. You can eat them without doing that, but you will have negative health effects. And some of the negative health effects of a lot of what we eat are so subtle, you don't realize. Like I grew up eating junk food. I grew up eating unhealthy. If I'm always in a state of pain or I'm always in a state of unhealthy, that's my normal. I don't know any difference. And as soon right. as I started cleaning up my diet, you know, and I, I, I and I actually realized like I was I, I generally don't get that sick. I'll get sick maybe once a year or something like that. This last two years, I got sick a couple times and now I'm realizing what it is. It's because I was depressed and started eating junk food and my immune system responded with a compromised immune response because I can I can feel it. Um, the other thing is vitamins consistently, despite what the media and the governments are saying, vitamin C, vitamin D, uh, zinc. And anything that helps you absorb zinc also act as a prophylactic. Again, they're not a cure. They're a prophylactic for the symptoms of COVID. This is in the medical goddamn literature. Guess what hydrochloroquine does? Guess what ivermectin does? They help you absorb zinc into your cells quicker. So it's actually, well, I could be screwing it up. I'm not an expert on these. This is what I've been hearing. And again, I could be broken telephoning it. But it's actually vitamin C, vitamin D, uh, vitamin D, by the way, isn't just a vitamin, it's a hormone, and it's, 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 you will die without vitamin D. Uh, vitamin C, definitely there's an issue of helping your immunity. My understanding is you need to have vitamin C regularly in your system for it to be effective. You can't just never take it and then take a huge dose uh, when you get sick. You need to regularly have vitamin C and then take a huge dose when you feel sick to boost it. Because if it's not regular in your system, you, your body doesn't know what to do, Right. The, the, the hydrochloroquine controversy was only because Trump said it. But doctors were saying over and over again, yeah, if you do a Z-pack, which is a zinc, zinc, with the hydrochloroquine, it helps your body, your natural immune system boost itself to fight off the severe symptoms. Trump should have dropped dead, hypothetically, if he had COVID, because he's old, he eats like garbage. How did he come? He bounced back like nothing. Does, nobody's, why? Because well, he had access to the best medical care in the world. Sure, but all they did is give him that stuff, vitamin C, vitamin D, Z-Pack, and hydrochloroquine. <clears throat> That's it. They probably if, gave him a cocktail of a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's like what Joe Rogan just got in trouble for. He took the same shit. What rich people take is a lot different than what other people take. Why? Because their doctors will give them the off-label stuff. Their doctors will give them what they know works. Uh, if you look at a lot of like Nancy Pelosi, aside from her fucking plastic face, she's 81 for fuck's sake. What the hell is she taking? You know, they do stuff like IV drips, IV drips of vitamins. These wealthy people do this all the time. It's proven to work. If you, 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 your body is vitamin deficiency, you can do these IV drips. They cost a fortune. So the average person can't do them. But say you feel immunocompromised, you do an IV, a vitamin IV, IV drip or a high, high dose vitamin C. Uh, and it can dramatically affect your ability to fend off your get your immune system. That's what vaccines do, by the way. They boost your immune system's ability to fight something off. So when they lump someone who's questioning why everyone needs to get this vaccine with an anti-vaxxer, this is this is misrepresentative. This is asshole behavior. It's not the same thing. What a lot of people are saying is, 
I don't think everyone needs to get this vaccine for this thing to go away. If the goal is we need to get people out of the hospitals, fine. You can do that by encouraging healthy well-being. You can encourage better vitamin intake. Uh, you, can, you can encourage healthy living. They don't want to do that because it'll affect their ability to get votes. Now, in America, what, 40%, 50% of them are obese in, in, in America? If we start pissing off that voter group, you're in trouble. I, it's lower in Canada, but it's still. That doesn't get votes. If you care about, this is why a lot of people like myself are saying Bonnie Henry does not care about the health and wellness of the public. And a lot of doctors don't. They'll say, Hippocratic Oath, blah, blah, blah. Then you need to be giving optimal health care for the individual patient at the individual level. And you need to be pushing health and nutrition. Well, we know most doctors aren't up. Some of the younger ones are now. They're, they're getting off their ass and doing it. A lot of doctors are out of date on their information. They're out of date. They don't know. Uh, the, the, our medical system should be covering nutritionists and should be covering uh, alternatives, naturopaths, and should be covering these non-traditional doctors because they focus on preventative medicine. Um, and again, as, as far as I'm young and healthy, as I said, you, going around and purposely getting a virus is like kind of silly. Um, but whether you're healthy or not, the how you boost your immune system is the same. So if a vaccine, regardless of the type of vaccine, boosts your immune system, why can't I do that with natural means that proven to work? Well, we, there's no data on that. Yes, there is. You're burying the data and you're silencing anyone who says doesn't. Well, they're a quack. Well, 80% of the history of science is, 80, is the history of being wrong. In the moment, most... That's why I was saying about the gender stuff. You're pushing ideas that make people feel good, but aren't really based in like sound science. And they're doing that with this. And that every time they're proven wrong, we need to do this to stop this pandemic. And then three months later, oops, we were wrong. Well, we need to do this to stop this pandemic. And people are like, hold on a second. Like, but I thought young people were safer. Can a young person die? Yes. So when they're like, oh, young people can still die. It's like, correct. Young people can die from anything. You're, you're misrepresenting material facts again. Um, so what you can do to be healthy is keep an active lifestyle. Make sure you have sufficient vitamins. I don't even want to go to my doctor for a blood test anymore. Because that's how bad it is with me. I don't even want to go to them because they're a waste of my fucking time. For me, I understand for people who don't understand this stuff, need to go to them to get advice, but I'm telling you, a lot of time they're giving you half-assed advice at least. They're giving triage advice, which is, what do I need to do to prevent you from getting worse? That's how they're treating things. I had a friend, so uh, mental health, SSRIs. I was on SSRIs, and they, they're helpful. They're a very useful tool. Uh, and I've told this story a lot where... Um, I have issues with other people because the way I, my bail chemistry does not match up with the way other people want people to be. It's just, a, it is. But I didn't understand what people meant by happy. Like I thought I was happy, but I didn't know because my biochemistry was so fucked. So what SSRIs helped me do was be stable enough to not, I was not, I would became less reactive as a person. So when you actually met me, I was coming off of SSRIs. So I was a more reactive, um, as a person. And, but what that allowed me to do is conceptualize what people meant by how I was reacting to stuff. Cause I didn't understand it 
internally. It just, it's not, I had no point of reference for what that meant. However, SSRIs are not a solution. They're a band-aid to help you heal temporarily. So doctors who put people on it permanently are not helping. They're not, they're not being helped. So I, I found I've, psychedelics, according to research and according to you know, anecdotal experience, have been very helpful in the world of, of mental health. There are limits to that. It's not go everyone go pop psychedelics. All the research says, kids, no, 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 no kids, no teens until you're a little older. How about we be better parents so our kids aren't fucked up and can manage and cope. And when they're like 23, 24 to 25, 26, if they're still having problems, psychedelics, according to research from John Hopkins, MAPS, uh, other places are showing to be more effective and having long-term lasting effects. Now, What's going to make more money? Something you have to be on all the time or something that I take once in a while and I have better results. My suggestion to do with the vaccine is an economic one and a political one. They said lockdowns will work. It failed categorically because the moment you open up again, this is a coronavirus, you fuckheads. It's going to spread whether you like it or not. Again, at the beginning of the pandemic, I saw multiple epidemiologists, virologists saying this, this, this type of virus is going to get around the world no matter whether you like it or not. The question was never a matter of, is everyone going to get it? They were always going to get it. It's how bad are people going to get it and hospitalization. That was the, the truth of it. Again, I'm, this is from actual experts, the real experts, the epidemiologists, the virologists, the immunologists. They, however, get funded by people. And you're seeing this in academics and research. They're funded by people. And if the people funding you don't like what, what you're doing or saying, guess what happens to your funding? So unfortunately, humans are default to their survival mechanisms doctors lawyers scientists everyone if i lose my livelihood i lose everything so i'm not going to follow this thing down the road uh the masks are cat have categorically failed they they keep correlation does not equal causation taiwan did really well early on taiwan's a good example of they did really good early on the reason why they did really good early on was because they took out their pandemic plan from fucking 2004 that every fucking government goddamn had and said, we're going to follow this. They're, and people were like, it's because they're all wearing masks. And their, their society loves wearing masks. Well, yeah, their, their society has acceptable that if you're sick, uh, wear a mask. That's pretty good advice as a general rule. It, but it also works. Some people have suggested that the reason why it works so well is because if you wear a mask and you're walking around, other people pick up the social cue of that person is probably sick. I'm going to stay away from them. Not necessarily the mask is 100% efficacy. Uh, and and, and, I, and I, at the beginning of this pandemic, I was saying you should wear a mask. You can ask my students. I was saying you should wear masks. Why? In the absence of knowing, we should probably be wearing masks. But I also emphasized that if this is as bad as people say it is. You should be wearing a proper half-face mask respirator with a proper cartridge. Because if this is as bad as you think, I know stuff can get into the sides of the masks. Now, at the beginning, they were also saying something that they said, this, is, this virus is not airborne. They're saying this virus is passed by uh, spit. Okay, if that's the truth, which it turned out not to be because they were suppressing the information, then masks are useful because if the transmission is spit and I have a mask on my face to catch said spit, it, it's going to be a great source of reducing transmission. As soon as the cat was out of the bag that, hey, this is airborne, it's like, fuck the mask. They don't work. And you know that because guess what? Taiwan got hit hard later on when they started opening their borders up again. 
and people still wear masks and follow the social rules. In fact, my understanding in Taiwan, they are going Nazi-ish by people reporting their neighbors to hotlines and police showing up at people's doors if you even minor infraction. Well, if the mask works so damn well, why the hell are you having an outbreak? It's an airborne virus. If you want to protect people, these masks are not going to do what you think you do. Now, one of my, and I'll say it, my, one of my original arguments I made was if it reduces it by 10%, it may be useful. That was under the assumption that it's, the thing is not going to spread if we do this. The thing is going to spread no matter what now. As you've seen, it's global. It's irrelevant. You're making people uncomfortable. You're, you're, you, you're not helping anyone. You're giving people anxiety. A lot of people default when I art debate with them is, well, it makes me feel better. I'm like, well, then this is nothing to do with science then. Um, and I've said exposure limits. If I go into the grocery store, okay, if I'm wearing it for 15 minutes, in a grocery store, you know what? It's probably, it's not, I'm not going to, it's annoying and I hate it and I get angry about it, but I'll do it because there's some merit to that. But if I'm in a closed loop office, the masks aren't going to do anything. Now, the University of Waterloo had some balls to do some research recently. Uh, medical masks in ideal lab conditions, 10% effective. Uh, N95 is 50% effective. Okay, 50% sounding a lot better, but this is in ideal conditions. People are taking masks on and off. People don't want to wear N95 masks. They're uncomfortable. And I feel for the medical staff who's had to wear them this whole time. In my opinion, why the fuck didn't you get them half-face mask respirators? They have to wear them all the goddamn time. Well, we don't want to do that because it makes them look bad. The patients feel uncomfortable. You don't think they feel uncomfortable with a, a, they're in fucking full hazmat suits? Like, what is wrong with you? Uh, it just costs more. Uh, you know, then there's the issue of the PPE, how in the entire government, and the NDP are to blame too. Uh, after SARS-CoV-1, they had, they had pandemic preparedness. I wrote about this all in my blog a while ago. They had all this, all this stuff ready to go in case of such a situation. It expired. Nobody replaced it, which includes the NDP were, who were in power for a few years prior to this. They didn't say, hey, the liberals didn't replace this. We need to replace this. That's why all the paramedics didn't have the gear that they did, in fact, need at the beginning when we weren't really sure. They didn't have the gear ready. Are you out of your minds? What is wrong with you? That, that, to me, that's one of the big, other big failures. Because if this virus had been as bad as they said it was, we're all fucked anyway. Because you know who's the first people to get this? The frontline workers. They're going to be dead if this thing is as bad as you guys told us it was. And you didn't have the gear ready? Well, early on, I had the first responder friends saying, listen, the homeless people aren't dropping dead. I don't think this is a big deal. What's happening with doctors and nurses, they're stressed out. They've been overworked. I feel bad for them. But I'm not going to allow you to use an emotional appeal to lie to me. And I know a lot of people will. I feel bad that you were treated poorly before this pandemic. I feel bad you're treated like shit financially. I feel bad you're treated like shit operationally. This needs to change. It compounded during the pandemic. But you are making an emotional argument to me that because you were stressed out in a profession that you chose to do, I'm supposed to suffer? I'm sorry. And I'm, people like me are being told we're selfish? Listen, man, I took precautions. We're, we did what you said. This is why people, a lot of people that I know are getting vaccinated, not because they think it's the right health choice. I've watched people move from this is wrong, these lockdowns don't make sense, this is silly, I want to go back to normal too. Okay, like, oh, yeah, I'll take the vaccine because that's what I'm being told I need to do to get back to normal. 
The data is not showing that. And now the same people are moving towards people who don't get vaccinated are evil and selfish. This is cognitive dissonance. This is people who prefer groupthink and want to get back to their normal lives at the expense of everybody else. And they're lying. It's a lie at this point. At what point does the lie break enough that people realize they've been lied to? I don't even understand. You know, the, did you see the Fauci emails? No. Fauci's a fucking piece of shit and he should be in jail. He definitely... No, I'm serious. People don't realize this. He, he borderline perjured himself in front of Congress. Uh, and actually, some people have suggested he did. And I've talked to people like, oh, but he spoke in Congress. Wouldn't he get arrested if... He perjured himself. I was like, no. Do you know how many Google and Facebook execs have been proven to perjure themselves when in front of Congress? They've been proven and nothing happened to them. They don't treat perjury in court the same as perjury in Congress for whatever reason, although it should be. Fauci has literally gone from, this can't have been from the Wuhan lab. That's absurd. That's a conspiracy theory. To, we didn't fund these people. Uh, we funded them, but it wasn't gain-of-function research. To it's gain-of-function research, yes, we probably funded it. To it would have been irresponsible to not have funded gain-of-function research. What the fuck? He's a liar. Because the material facts are he knew they funded this from the start, and he lied. He lied in contravention of they were not supposed to fund it, legally speaking. Why are we trusting this person who keeps getting caught lying? Well, I don't know a lot about uh, the, the lab theory, yeah. um, but I, I am going to have to get going pretty soon. Is there anything yeah. you want to talk about to wrap up on? Not specifically. I wish you'd we said more, good, but you know. We, we did a pretty good job of uh, talking a little bit about the, the healthcare system and the virus and uh, the political discourse around the election yeah that's mostly what we focused on yeah i would say that this i probably said a lot of stuff that you didn't even know about right based mm -hmm. on your facial expression right and i consider you a, a reasonable well-educated informed individual the issue is there's too much information people right. barely can tell the difference between what's legit and what's not again this is what i'm saying about education learn how to read data learn when data is being manipulated Learn how to critically think. It is, this is why I'm against socialism, because it creates a system in which people are too reliant on the system. But when, the, when there's too many people, the system simply will not be able to handle it without an authoritarian dictatorship. Right. So the solution to this is decentralize things. Give people the capability to make decisions for themselves that are based in re grounded information. Right? I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I can sit here and listen to podcasts Sometimes it's just for entertainment, like Joe Rogan. Well, sometimes he has world-class scientists on his podcast, but people will discredit him because he's a bro. But he has world-class scientists on his podcast, guys. And you don't want to listen to him because you have a misconception about that every episode is bro science. That's not true. So you have access now on the internet to the people who did the research, the ones who are willing to be strong and talk. You have access now to the information. Uh, you can have access to the British medical journals. You should look into what they've been saying all year long about lockdowns and mask policies and all this stuff. It's not what you think it says. That's publicly available, the British medical journal. The American one, not so much. 
but you need to do your own research on these topics. And if you feel it's overwhelming, you actually really need to find a, a person that you know and reasonably trust that will actually try their best to f give you a more objective stance on, on positions. Governments aren't doing it. The, the, the uh, government-appointed medical experts are not doing it. My own doctor is not even goddamn doing it. So if you want to live a happy, healthy life, you can't just be like, vaccines are evil, or anyone who doesn't want to take the vaccine is evil. This is insanity. You have to say, okay, for me, based on my personal history, based on what I know, what is the most optimal for my health and well-being? And often it's not what the government is telling you. Sometimes well, it is, addition, sometimes it's not. In addition to concern for your own well-being, there's another principle here, which is that we have an obligation to the collective as well. True, but not when they're lying about it. And they're actually turning the collective against the minority now in a way that's going to be bad if it keeps up. Uh, again, I mean, I think I covered all the reasons why that argument actually kind of falls apart on this one. Didn't build, if, if the medical system needed both, where's our triage hospitals? Huh? You just, you just get a warehouse somewhere. You turn it into an ICU. Then they'll respond with, we don't have enough doctors. It's like, okay, well, too bad. You, gotta, you need to isolate these people away from the regular hospitals. The governments didn't do anything to actually protect the system. They didn't. And when they did do it, they found out, oops, we didn't actually need to do that because they've fucked up their messaging. So I understand Ultimately, that collective uh, argument. Yeah. We're just human beings along for the ride and we're not really in control as much as we think we are. You are if you want to be. And that's why my message is educate yourself. And if you feel you're incapable of find someone that you think is reasonable, trustworthy, that is not someone in the government because they have, they have their agendas. Whether you trust them or not, they have their agendas, right? So whoever that person is to any individual, I don't know what to tell people. A lot of people think I'm psycho, so they don't want to listen to me. But I always tell my students, think for yourself. I said, double check everything I say because I could have mis misheard or misrepresent. Broken telephone is a real thing. So I guess, you know, educate yourself with real data and think for yourself is the solution we need to get out of this mess. Great. Is yeah, that where we should leave it? I guess. Do you have any <laughs> final parting words? Um, no, that was good. I think um, for me, we should do it again, and we should talk about maybe Israel-Palestine next time. That's a fun one. Count, count. See, I see. You need, you need, you need to be prepared, because you see how I can go, because I remember stuff. Come prepared for that one. With, with material stuff so that you can go off like me. <laughs> no, I, I don't pretend to be as, um, as experienced or knowledgeable about that, uh, that conflict, but it should be good to get, get your take. Yeah, myth, myth, myths. we can do myths and uh, misconceptions or something. Myths <laughs> and misconceptions, I like that. That should be yeah. a weekly segment. <laughs> yeah, maybe down the road. Anyways, thanks for coming on and we'll see how your version of this uh, turns out as well. Yeah, definitely. I'll, uh... You're listening to The Warrior's Day. Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions.